Freak by Jonathan Harnish published by Babadood Press 36 Mary Quita Lane Corrales, New Mexico 87,048 United States of America While the publishers and the author have taken every care in preparing the material included in this work, any statements made as to the legal or other implications of any transaction, any particular method of litigation or any kind of compensation claim are made in good faith purely for general guidance and cannot be regarded as a substitute for professional advice. Consequently, no liability can be accepted for loss or expense incurred as a result of relying on particular circumstances on statements made in this work copyright Jonathan Harnish 2015. All rights reserved, no part of this publication may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any way or by any means, including photocopying or recording, without the written permission of the copyright holder, application for which should be addressed to the publisher. Crown copyright material is reproduced with kind permission of the controller of Her Majesty's Stationery Office, British Library Cataloging and Publication Data. A catalog record for this book is available from the British Library, ISBN 13. ISBN 10, printed in the United States of America and Great Britain The Road to Wakefield Interstate 87 rolls away beneath me as the tires of Poppy's Delta 88 glide heavily over the pavement. We're doing about 75 even though the speed limit's still 65 and Pops really can't afford another speeding ticket. The red, brown and yellow leaves are falling off the autumn trees. Bright colors livening up the New England countryside. It's the only countryside I've ever known, since before I can remember, since before I was born, since before I was myself, or Georgie was himself. My alter ego, Georgie Gust, is in the back seat, looking out the window. His parents, Pops and Rose, are up front, and me, an enormous trunk and an old, fat tire bike are tied to the car's roof. Wakefield's a small, blue-collar town near the New England coast that consists primarily of turn-of-the-century colonial homes, sidewalks, large grass lawns, a train station, your everyday necessity shops, a children's playground and park, a pizza place, a bike shop, a couple of restaurants, and a vintage luncheonette. Bicyclists, joggers, pedestrians, and moped riders, Vespers mostly, line Main Street, in the center of town, yellow wooden arrows point towards the school grounds. They read, Welcome Wakefield students. Just around the corner from the remarkable school arches and the vast school grounds is the pen, an old, shady, rundown bar near the street corner. Homeless guys and drunks hang around outside, drinking out of brown paper bags. Pops's car stops at a red light. Pops fidgets in his second-hand suit and tie. He's holding the wheel tight, his head ticks slightly. Pops turns to Rose, who has turned to stare at Georgie. They are going to love you here, honey, says Rose. Georgie starts pulling at his clothes. He says, fucking cunt, fucking nigger. It's hot in here, parenthetical pet peeve, overheated cars, workplaces and other public facilities. Then Rose says to Pops, aren't they? Martin Pops glances at Rose. Humbly says, dude, Georgie continues, shite, man, it's really hot, he looks at his mother, sorry, he says, and touches her nose with the tip of his finger, she ignores him, what I'm saying, honey, 
is that these kids are different. They have money. They have manners. Not like the others. Georgie sighs. Moam, he groans. She turns to Pops, right? Martin, she says. Georgie stares out the window. He watches the low lifes and derelict flicking ash outside the bar. Pops peeks in the rear view mirror. The important thing is the Winterborn, Georgie. Win that, my boy, and you're in. The most important thing is your classmates. Rose persists. You're going make friends here. Not like that other place. Georgie looks at her, rolling his eyes, going to study Nietzsche. Camus, Unamuno, Sartre, he says. Big time. Jean-Paul Sartre even turned down his Nobel Peace Prize. Fuck, that's cool. Hapops jumps in, a little more sternly. Hey, boy, worry about the winter boring. Okay, win the winter born and you're in. In like Flint, Rose glances disapprovingly at Pops. All I'm trying to say is well, don't. Pops cuts in. Just don't even say it. The traffic light turns green as the Wakefield track team turns the corner and jogs past the car down Main Street. The runners wear sporty yellow jerseys, their swinging legs are perfectly in sync. They sweep past the big blue and gold signpost, Wakefield Academy Vetus Time and I Uvanesco founded 1892 the Delta 88 stops at the administration building. Pulling in next to one of the several luxury cars already parked in the parking lot, parents, students, and faculty crowd around the building's lawn, getting to know one another, parenthetical pet peeve, schools assuming that people live in a 50s sitcom and parents are always available to pop right down to the school with no notice for conferences, etc. Georgie picks out the parents from the faculty which is easy because the teachers don't have any kids hanging around near them. He tries to figure out which one is the dean, and then he sees her an older woman, a teacher. Unlike the rest of the faculty, she is dressed down, seemingly casual. Even so, she's hot enough to make any priest want to kick a hole through the stained glass windows of his chapel. Anyway, that's what would happen, if I happened to be a priest, and I was hanging out there. If I were Georgie, if Georgie were me, then a girl his own age catches his eye, surrounded by two rough-looking jock types, she is 18 in all her glory attractive and conservative, but slightly troubled, too. Some time later, she would step into the penthouse centerfold of Georgie's life and mine, her breasts aren't sagging or fat, now, but puffy-nippled, pert, and pale, covered with silky cilia, they are soft, smooth, those plump belly breasts and their dime-sized aureoles, Georgie jumps out of the car. He's wearing jeans, a baseball cap, t-shirt, and sport coat. Georgie takes off the dark glasses, his deep-set eyes slightly sad. Georgie Rose calls, jiggling the inside handle of the passenger side door. Georgie, I am stuck. Georgie seems not to hear. He's too busy scoping out the campus. He grimaces, bobbing his head at strangers. Rose struggles with the door. Georgie she calls, sounding scared. Finally, Rose slips her arm through the window and pulls the exterior door handle. She gasps as she straggles out of the car. Georgie stretches one arm over his head, scratching his ear. Rose puts her arm around him and kisses his cheek. They are going to love you here. Baby, really? She says, from a slight distance. The two rough-looking jocks see the exchange and start laughing. 
one of the girls standing nearby he hadn't noticed her the first time laughs along with them, the one he noticed the troubled in glances at her friends, and then stares intently at Georgie, the casually dressed teacher also stares, dear diary, it is so difficult to not allow other people's behaviors to affect me in a negative way settling in later, Wakefield students crowd the dorm, calling to each other across the hall as they check out their rooms and roommates, Georgie, lugging his trunk and bicycle, half hops, half skips down the crowded hallway, looking for his room, near the end of the hall, Georgie spots two geeks holding their laptops and stylus pens, Georgie sets down his trunk to rest, and the two geeks notice his overpacked steamer, shite's heavy, dude, ha Georgie says, you should have left the bike outside, dude, one advises solemnly, the other kid adds, it'd be lighter to carry, Georgie blushes, gulps, and continues to drag his luggage down the crowded hallway, yelping in frustration, several doors down, Georgie finds his room, it's a single, he awkwardly unpacks, puts away his clothes, sets up his computer and other electronics, and finally pulls out several rolled-up posters from the overstuffed trunk, Dostoevsky, Henry Miller, Socrates, and Nietzsche, along with Edvard Munch's The Scream, he listens to Electronica and Disco while he unpacks, dancing and quivering, Georgie tacks the screen to the back of the door and begins stacking his books on the small bookshelf provided, he brought philosophy books, mostly, Albert Camus The Myth of Sisyphus and Sartre's Being and Nothingness, along with several how-to books on writing. Soon enough, he stops dancing and pulls out an old thumb-worn French copy of Sartre's Nausea. I don't remember packing this, he thinks. He opens the book. Original. Sweet. Oh my god. It's in French, he says aloud. A few photographs fall from between the pages. Georgie picks up the pictures and brings them to his desk. They are family pictures from when Georgie was a small child. He's posing with his family, sitting on his father's shoulders. Georgie is scratching his father's face off the photographs with his room key when a big grey pigeon lands on the open window above his cluttered desk. He looks at the pigeon and coos at it softly, and then feeds it potato chips from a bag in his pocket. As he leans out the window, he watches as one of the rough jock types bursts out of the back door. The jock shouts at his cell phone as he jogs down the sidewalk, clutching a lacrosse stick and ball in his other hand, parenthetical pet peeve, parents who expect sports figures to be role models for their children, dad, 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 when have you ever been a father to me he yells, you're always too busy helping out everyone else's kids, dad, he stops jogging, quieting his voice, yeah, I know okay, I'm sorry, see, look. I got to warm up for practice, I'll do my best, I've been doing my best, dad, bye, the jock hangs up, and then sees his buddy up ahead, waving a lacrosse stick, the jock with the cell phone wings the ball his way, yo, heads up, Wyman he calls, and then sprints after his throw, Georgie pulls his eyes back into his own, single room and flops into his bed to stare at the ceiling, ten minutes later, he's asleep, and me, too, I get tired, more and more, over the years, whenever I try to make sense of everything, who am I, where am I, I ask myself, where's Georgie Porgy, who's Georgie and who am I, I've got to admit, I don't know, Dr. C, better go ask Georgie, 
He knows better, dear diary, I'd wish it were easier to not allow other people's past to create my own present the birth of adult love students sleepwalk to their classes, but, of course, nobody is truly lucid, not even me, or Dr. C. I dream of Georgie, and Georgie's me, and Dr. C. knows I'm dreaming she dreams of me, she dreams of Georgie, Georgie wears a hat and sunglasses, riding past zombie students on his old fat tire bike. I see Georgie pass by me, I look up, I wake, those students, too, glance at Georgie as he rides on, I'm nowhere while he's moving, and that's where I prefer to stay, my alarm goes off, the clock tower chimes, flocks of birds fly over the large campus lawn, a bird looks Georgie in the eye, the bird sees me, sees Georgie, I'm a speck in its eye, in Georgie's eye, the bird flies away, with me a speck in it. Back in the dorm, Georgie unpacks his ticky-tack room decorations and other bric-a-brac. He hangs his clothes neatly in the open closet. He takes a flask from the trunk. He remembers me Ben but I'm slowly drifting away into the future. It must have been me. It must have been me. Made him drink. But I didn't. I really didn't. I promise. It wasn't. Georgie throws the flask up into the air and catches it practicing catching it perfectly, like that, then jams the flask underneath his mattress, like that, he sits on the rumpled bed, pulls out his laptop, and starts writing about the idea of a woman, a perfect woman, a young woman, at her peak, she is the perfect, unperplexed idea, his finest, first image of a beautiful woman an alter ego, a living, colorful beauty, Georgie's one and only, she was the one, wasn't she? Who was she? Wasn't she? Someone whispers the name again. Claudia. Claudia Nesbitt. Georgie describes her room, her dorm, and her school. She's there, isn't she? She's there in his version of reality, his perfect, pure, beautiful idea. He thinks that every little detail about Claudia corresponds with something so beautiful and pure and is overwhelmed to tears. Georgie falls in love instantly with the perfect idea of her. Where's she? Where's he? She's lost in his perfect, beautiful fantasy. Light jazz creeps from the small pink radio on her desk. She's lost, now, isn't she? And me, too. She flies away, like me, lost in this confused, perfect fantasy. Claudia's room is plastered with photos and letters and other scraps of memory medals, awards, and decorations. There's even a blue, New York police officer's uniform dry cleaned and perfectly preserved in its entirety, it once belonged to a young man of 30 her father, but her mother, her family, who knows, does Claudia even have a mother, or a family, it's all up to me, now, isn't it, wasn't it, Claudia's alone in her room, her shrine, she sits down to write out a letter, it opens with, dear daddy, I miss you, dear diary, I wish people including myself wouldn't judge other people's books by their covers, yet be mindful by looking at others, without judging them. Heidi where are we now? We are in Heidi's room, aren't we? Where Claudia becomes Heidi who becomes me, but who is Georgie, if not Claudia, Heidi, or me? A small oriental shrine rests beneath her television set, in memory of Tina engraved on its base, as Heidi lights a candle above their photo together. In the photo, her sister leans on crutches, she talks on the telephone, excuse me she says, sounding ruffled, Heidi's place is quaint and cluttered, 
It's a good place, for now, she thinks, but just for now, because she loves to travel. She's currently trapped here within the boundaries of this school, this Wakefield Academy, but just for now. She teaches philosophy, but she has a medical degree. She thought she'd give teaching a shot, because her sister always wanted to be a teacher, but her story, her life, went sour. Heidi's a fantastic teacher, isn't she? She's liberal, hip, radical, the Wakefield Academy ideal. But still, she tends to feel close to the students, sometimes, some of them, only the special ones, she said, the special students, like Georgie, like me. But I can see the future already. I can see Heidi's future, and it's not Wakefield, it's not me. Her campus apartment, as it was, as it is, is filled with tangible memories of her deceased sister. A poster-sized photo of the two of them together, items that once belonged to Tina, etc. But she's distracted from her communion with her sister by another, different conversation. No, sir, Heidi says into the telephone. I don't believe there should be any hesitation on your part or any unsatisfied parents this year, Dean Winterborn clears his throat, the sound echoes down the line, there was some question about a student, he points out, a student in one of your philosophy classes, Heidi lights another candle, but that boy graduated two years ago, sir, dear diary, every mother on earth gave birth to a child, except my mother. My mother gave birth to a legend. High five for mommy school blues. Georgie gets off his bike and walks. Step 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 hop. Towards the white pillar at Red Brick Wakefield Humanities Building. Students scurry past him, rushing to class. Some notice his step hop. Many decide to ignore it. Georgie walks into Miss Heidi Birillo's classroom with his sunglasses on, his books loosely held in his arms. He picks a seat in the back, sits down and sets his books on his desk. He checks out the other students from behind the anonymity of his dark-tinted sunglasses, pulling a baseball cap down to cover his forehead. On the board is written, We agree that what is holy is loved by the gods because it is holy, and not holy because it is loved by the gods. Socrates, the girl he noticed yesterday, the attractive, conservative, troubled girl, rushes in, breathing heavily. She sits two rows over and a couple of seats in front of Georgie, and is quickly joined by one of the jocks the one not named Wyman. The jock glances back over his shoulder at Georgie. He nudges the girl and snickers, but the girl ignores them both. When Miss Heidi Barilla begins the class, Georgie drops his eyes and stares at his books, his blank notepad. The class requirements are all on the syllabus, as are my rules, which are very simple. No late assignments, no tardiness, and no talking out of turn. Oh, and, by the way, no sleeping, and especially no snoring, the students whisper among themselves. No hats and no shades, Georgie removes his baseball hat and dark-tinted sunglasses, as do the other boys in the room, and a few of the girls, Heidi pretends not to notice. Finally, Miss Heidi Birillo hands out the course syllabus. After briefly describing the class format and course objectives, she gets down to important matters. Class, a big heads up, she says. Come January, Wakefield Prep will sponsor our annual open competition for the prestigious Memorial Prize in memory of Dean Winterborn's late father and founding father of this, our school. 
the Winterbourne Memorial Scholarships for the Most Outstanding Senior Essay. There are no guidelines or limits on subject. Any topic philosophy, literature, science will be accepted. Georgie glances at the girl. He notices her slim white legs, crossed at the ankle and revealing themselves in the aisle. I'd like to encourage all of you to enter. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, as the old saw says. But I'll tell you more about the Winterbourne later in the semester, says Heidi. Georgie studies the girl's feet. She's wearing open-toed shoes. Her toes are brightened by pink nail polish, half-peeled. For now, Heidi says, let's just get started with ancient philosophy. The girl looks straight back at Georgie, right dead into his eyes. Her eyes have no expression. She nonchalantly uncrosses her legs and pulls them beneath her chair. And what better place to start, Heidi points to the quote on the blackboard, than with Socrates Georgie catches the girl's eyes on him again. He pretends to read his book. By nightfall, Georgie's tired and sick of people. He studies in his bed, alone. Through the slightly open window, he hears students passing by, joking and laughing. Paranoia does not rise in him, not like with the later Georgie. Instead, his curiosity is piqued. He goes to the slightly open window and watches the students pass by. He sees the girl. Think fast, Oza the jock named Wyman hollers as he slings a ball. Ignoring the scantily clad female at his side, Wyman takes off through the parking lot and goes long. The jock walking next to the girl, the girl, catches the ball and slings it back, laughing. He runs after Wyman. The girl raises her hand. Jason she calls. She stops beneath Georgie's window with a sigh. Don't be such a poop, Claudia, the scantily clad girl hisses, catching up. Georgie perks up. Did someone call his name? Poop yourself, Susan, Claudia says, sticking out her tongue. Oh yeah, real mature, Susan teases. The girls walk and talk slowly, enjoying each other, until they disappear. They disappear. Georgie returns to his books. Finally, giving in, to meet Ben, he reaches under the thin mattress and pulls out the flask of whiskey. He gulps it down without taking a breath. So much for studying, he thinks. Pretty soon, Georgie's snoring. The next afternoon, on Great Hill, which overlooks the Wakefield Upper Campus practice field, Georgie stands to watch the lacrosse team practice. Oza and Wyman rough each other up good-naturedly on the playing field, while Claudia and Susan and several senior girls stand on the sidelines, cheering. Georgie stares at the lacrosse field, occasionally squinting and twitching. The laughter and camaraderie of the players slowly drift up to him, as they pass him by. At last he walks off, alone, down the tree-lined path. He shuffles along, hopping on one foot every third step. Sometime later, Georgie is hunting for books at the Wakefield Library, researching for class. He slams a huge textbook shut and shelves it, looking down at the list in his hand for the location of the next. He hears the sound of snickering and scuffling and looks up. The jockozer approaches him slowly, accompanied by Wyman. Georgie hunches over and swivels his head back and forth. His tongue hangs out, drooling. Wyman laughs and swivels his head around, too. The two close in on Georgie, imitating his twitches and tics. Fighting back weariness and panic, Georgie turns his back on them and walks his fingers across book spines, looking for the next on his list. Wyman's girlfriend, 
Susan laughs at the boy's antics, Claudia doesn't, Georgie notices, and I notice, too, just like Georgie, just like I do, Susan wears low-cut jeans that show her midriff, her hair is sticky with spray, Claudia dresses more conservatively than the other girls, knee-length skirt and a light sweater, it only makes her that much more appealing and sexy, in Georgie's dark-tinted eyes, Oza and Wyman stand close to him, getting in Georgie's space, they stare intensely at him, without saying a word, his face glows red and he feels the panic rising in him, he struggles and succeeds, for a moment, in stopping his twitching antics, but time passes and the boys don't leave, and Georgie can't hold back anymore, he leaps and shudders like a deranged string puppet, the boys laugh, there we go, says Oza, that tar boy, G-man, let it out, let it all out, baby, Wyman crosses his arms, M.M., Oza, buddy, Wyman says, would you look at that, now, Mr. Twitchy, he gloats, Oza and Wyman slap each other on the back in congratulations, Oza turns to Georgie and sticks out his left hand, good to meet you, Twitchy, Oza says, Georgie refuses to shake Oza's hand, and Oza bows and wipes his hands on his pants, several other members of the Wakefield Boys lacrosse team approach Wyman and Oza now, calling out greetings to one another, slapping hands, or smiles, they all wear matching green and gold gym sweats, parenthetical pet peeve, as a kid in school, being the last one left when choosing sides for a team and the resentment with the other team, as the boys head out of the library, Susan tags along with them, she's smiling, in good spirits, like she enjoyed the show, she catches Claudia standing by the checkout counter, you coming, see Susan urges, Claudia looks down, not meeting her eyes, I'll catch up later, she says, Susan giggles with the boys as they walk noisily through the library doors and out into the sunshine, Georgie watches the Wakefield boys easy camaraderie, fighting down frustration and envy, and hatred, don't forget hatred, too, finally, Claudia steps up to him, she follows Georgie's gaze and sees that he's watching the boys, Georgie looks back at her, silent, waiting for her to speak first, that was badass of them, Claudia says, I'm used to it, Georgie says, Claudia smirks, it was still ass of them, she says, Georgie shrugs, do you have the text for Miss Birillo's class, Claudia says suddenly, who's, what Georgie stutters, confused, Heidi Birillo, you know, Miss Heidi Birillo, I saw you in class, you know, Georgie flushes, I know you saw me, too, Claudia says, Georgie turns away, I found a copy a little while ago, of the book, I mean, did you yes, Claudia said, Georgie takes off through the stacks, three days on campus, and he already has the library memorized, it's got a blue cover, Claudia reminds him, Georgie, ducking around a corner, loosens up now that he's out of sight, now that he's safe, he starts to sing, to her, to Claudia, blue balloon, red balloon, green balloon, will you find my blue balloon, red balloon, blue balloon, this balloon's for you, he stands up and whirls around, finding Claudia standing behind him, he blushes fiercely and hands her the book, that was lame, Georgie apologizes, sorry, sorry, just a tune, tune balloon, toony and loony, like a loony tune are fuck, whatever, 
Georgie laughs nervously at himself, refusing to look Claudia in the eyes, he hears her giggling. What's she giggling about he wonders, then he notices Claudia glancing down at his shirt, he looks down, too, his shirt's filthy with dust and dirt smudges from the library stacks, R, fuck, he says, sorry, who cares, it's still dress code, isn't it, parenthetical pet peeve, dress codes, Claudia takes a small coin purse from her backpack and pulls out her student photo ID, Georgie waves it away. What's this Georgie asks, look, Claudia shoves the ID in front of his eyes, it's last year's picture, she explains, Georgie looks up, what do you mean I fell out of a tree, landed flat on my face, see the photograph shows Claudia smiling brightly through a puffy lip and two black eyes, impressive, Georgie says with a hint of smile, but his lips quiver, fucking a what were you doing, climbing trees Claudia tries to catch Georgie's gaze, she stoops lower toward him, but Georgie won't meet her eyes. People watching, Claudia admits. She turns and looks at the Wakefield boys, capering around a statue just outside the library doors like apes in a zoo. She begins to head for the door, and then glances back over her shoulder. My name's Nesbit, Claudia. Claudia Nesbit, she says. Or Claudia, to you. What is yours Georgie? Nesbit, Claudia. Nesbit. Georgie, Gus Gust, shite, she steps up to him and shakes his hand, then arches her back and smiles, you've got a firm grip, Georgie Gust, she says, shite, Georgie winces, sorry, but, it's nice to meet you, rather nice to meet you, anyway, he says nervously, he returns her smile, nice to meet you, too, Georgie watches as Claudia walks past the turnstile, bye, Claudia, he whispers to himself, Nesbit, Claudia, Nesbit, Claudia Nesbit, Claudia, 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 Claudia Nesbit, he mutters, that night, Georgie lies on his bed, studying, while the familiar noise of students shouting and laughing outside echoes in his room, the noise finally draws him to the window, but the students have already disappeared, Georgie returns to bed, tries to keep studying, but he is distracted, he closes the book and pulls on a lightweight jacket. He goes downstairs to the lobby and out the dorm house door, his brow scowling furiously, his mind drawn inward. Outside, on the Wakefield campus, the student noises are faint. Georgie hurries after them, following them, imitating their noise, but they are so far away that they can't see him, or I can't see them, or me. Still, snatches of conversation drift back to him. Dart the pen. A short time later, Georgie stands outside the pen, watching as crowds of students file in and out the door, rushing past him like a river of bodies. He stands there several seconds before pushing the door open. Inside, the place is smoky and jam-packed with students. Georgie approaches the bar and signals the bartender. Beer. On tap Georgie nods yes. Beer. He says, Dear diary, right now. I don't feel so bad that so many people remember me only when they need me. In fact, I feel privileged that I'm like a candle that comes to their mind when there is darkness. Nice feeling, I've got to admit. Here's hoping it will last the classroom in Miss Heidi's classroom. Students are goofing off. Even Claudia's goofing, holding her nose and sticking her tongue out at him. At Georgie, Heidi stands by the window and then casually opens it. 
Georgie startled by the rasping, scraping sound of metal against metal, like fingernails on a blackboard, Heidi tosses a piece of chalk out the open window, dust off her hands, and walks to the front of the room, parenthetical pet peeve, squeaky chalk, true or false she asks, the chalk that I just tossed out the window hit the ground, the students look at one another, smirking and rolling their eyes, several students stutter out, true, true, true asks Heidi, how do you know the chalk flies back through the window and shatters against the hard tile floor, the students laugh, surprised, Heidi hurries back to the window and leans out, mouth agape, you dropped something, Miss B a student yells up from below, Georgie recognizes Oza's voice, thanks, but the two of you are late for class she calls back sternly. Heidi walks around the room and looks closely at each student, she's a little imposing, at first sight slight but straight backed, after a long pause, she continues the lesson, okay, so, assuming there are no Wyman's or Oza's out there to throw the chalk back at us, true or false, the chalk I just tossed out the window hit the ground, Claudia raises her hand, Heidi points to her, to Claudia, yes Claudia, is it Claudia nods and snatches a quick look at Georgie, he sticks his tongue out at her, like a frog catching flies, it's a situational tick, protective camouflage, he doesn't want Claudia to see, really, or Heidi, either, um, the chalk could have landed in a bush Claudia says, Georgie traces the letter C over and over on his notebook with his pencil until it tears through the paper, all right, all right, all right, he says quietly, true, Heidi nods, the chalk could have landed in a bush, or a bird could have swooped down and thought it was a tasty snack, bush, bush, Georgie mutters quietly to himself, tasty snack, tasty, I say, she's saying it's a good snack, nobody else hears him, some students, with knitted brows, nod at the teacher, like they're really thinking, some only stay vacantly, or scribble in their notebooks, Oza and Wyman walk into the room, they take seats in the back row, Heidi acknowledges their entrance with a frown, but let's assume that the chalk falls straight to the ground, does the chalk make a hit Heidi asks, does it hit the ground a few students groan and roll their eyes, Georgie grows visibly more nervous as time ticks on, he turns a page of his notebook and completes a complex geometrical design, he starts on a sketch of an angel, then he returns to tracing the sea, dude, fuck Wyman, dude, fuck Oza, fucking pricks, he mutters, dear diary, it's such an empowering feeling when I forget those who have forgotten me when I really needed them, only remembering those who have made me smile and laugh when I've otherwise been down in the dumps hungover sometime later that night, a drunken Georgie stumbles out of the pen, his day passes before his eyes, in the library, Georgie picks out books for his research project, in his room, Georgie studies on his bed and writes in his journal, in Heidi's class, students yawn and roll their eyes, not paying attention, Georgie jerks his head up off his desk, he snaps back, cracking his neck loudly, are objective truths independent of our subjectivity asks Heidi, do truths exist eternally, apart from we mortal human beings, as Socrates believed, or are eternal truths simply situational and subjective? As the existentialists argue Heidi pauses a moment, waiting for an answer, what do you think, class she asks, anyone, 
are truth subjective or objective the students look down at their books or at each other, anywhere but at Heidi, most of them really don't know what she's talking about, most of them really don't care, Georgie stretches his mouth open, disguising his spasms and twitches in yawns, certainly subjective, mutters Georgie, certainly, I say, Heidi becomes slightly impatient, you don't need to be so shy, she berates the class, this is an introductory philosophy class, there are no right or wrong answers, here, in this class, she walks to the blackboard again, waiting silently for the class to answer, Georgie looks at Claudia, who's poised to take notes, he continues to trace the M on his scribbled up scratched paper, the students squirm in their seats, take me girl D. Unamuno, for instance, says Heidi, the existentialist, Georgie looks up and grunts, recognizing Unamuno's name, his legs get restless, he starts to twitch, slightly, Heidi points to Unamuno's name, written in white chalk on the blackboard, parenthetical pet peeve, fingernails scraping a chalkboard, beneath the name, she writes, Basque, 1864, 1936, Georgie takes dictation from Heidi, or does Georgie take dictation from me, what'll it be, Dr. C. Georgie, or me, are we discussing Georgie's school days, now, or yours, Ben you tell me, Dr. C., Georgie writes Unamuno's name in his scribbled over notebook, Unamuno was a Spanish-born philosopher who might find himself either on the left or the right of the political, religious, and philosophical spectrums, in other words, his subjective conception of supposed objective truth could differ in different situations one kid drops his pencil on the floor, he grunts loudly as he reaches for it, his shaggy hair shadowing distracted eyes, dart depending on when you asked him, Spanish born, spectrums, subjectivity, mutters Georgie, he scribbles SS on his notebook, which brings us back to the original question, are truths independent of our own subjectivity she pauses. Perhaps Unamuno is not the best example. Perhaps Unamuno's constantly changing subjective opinions confuse the question of objective truth. Or perhaps truth really is simply subjective. Which is it? Anyone Heidi pauses significantly again, awaiting a response. Does anybody in this class have a subjective opinion? Or are we all waiting for objective truth to strike? Georgie looks around the room. He sees that nobody is willing to make eye contact with Heidi. He raises his pencil, and Heidi smiles. Yes, in the back. Georgie Georgie blushes. He looks down at his shirt. I borrowed this shirt from some kid in the dorm, he says anxiously. His distraction crystallizes a truly awkward moment. There are blank stares and bubblegum bubbles popping all around the room. One prissy-looking girl tags her wad of trident underneath the desk and scoffs through her nose. He borrowed it she confirms. Oh my god, Georgie, you're a fucking psycho? The other kids snicker and scoff, although some kids think of the Georgie as normal, if a little odd, whatever that means, normal, sorry, Georgie says to Heidi, I've got Tourette's syndrome, sorry, he has Tourette's the girl mumbles, she snorts disdainfully, that's fine. Heidi says, go on, Georgie, well, the world exists independent of human subjectivity, he begins, contorting his face, his muscles tense and he stutters, dart, s-h-h-h Georgie spits out, the pencil dropper barely stifles a burst of laughter, Mr. Hendricks, 
Heidi says sternly, and the boy's face straightens out. Go ahead, Georgie, she says. Take your time. Most of the students stare at Georgie as his body quakes. Some snicker. Georgie's sweating. He grips his pencil so tightly that it snaps. A few laughs echo from the back of the room. Yes, Heidi urges him. You know Georgie stutters, his nerves enslaving his tongue. You know, I I I, I damn it. He wipes his forehead, puts his shades back on. His classmates become darkened blurs. Heidi steps in front of Georgie. At that moment, it feels like he's only talking to her. Go ahead, Georgie, she says. Georgie begins to relax under Miss Heidi Barillo's calming gaze. Truths are in independent of our own subjectivity, he says. His confidence growing. Certainly, Unamuno still could have been subjectively existential, in that he was exercising the possibilities of his individual freedom, without compromising objective truth. Heidi's eyes widen. If existence precedes essence, then Unamuno was just recreating his essence as it suited him. Maybe his essence was still somehow expressing objective truth, though, every student stares at Georgie. They are silent. Georgie goes on. So, at every moment, no matter what he was asked, or what the answer was, it was true. Somehow or other, Heidi turns to the class, which stares dumbly at Georgie. She walks to the front of the room and grins. Very comprehensive, Georgie, Heidi confirms. I can tell you're reading the text with precision and understanding. Who has something to add she asks. Nobody responds. Has anyone else done the assigned reading Heidi scolds? One student sits up in his seat. He jerks a pointed chin at Heidi, his blonde hair spiking upward accusingly. There was too much to read. Nobody could have gotten through all that, apparently Mr. Gust did. Heidi smiles. Maybe he has a secret you lack? Mr. Brooks I tried to read it, Hendricks replies lazily. His hair is greasy and shoulder length, his eyes half-lidded. But I got bored. How's it going to help me in the real world? Asks the prissy girl. Are you saying that this is not the real world? Miss Winters the class snickers. Winters flushes, angrily. Georgie took my answer. Claudia jokes. Claudia smiles at Georgie. At me. Georgie sticks his tongue out at Claudia. And she reciprocates the gesture. Mr. Mad Scientist. Hendricks says. Laughter from the students resonates as the halogen lights above whiten, as though bleached. Yeah, Mr. Twitchy, Oza adds. Wyman laughs. Heidi frowns. Georgie catches Claudia looking at him. He glances down at his notebook, shredded by MS, and then at his broken pencil. Claudia holds a new pencil out to him. Georgie takes the pencil, giving her the slightest grin. His lips still quiver slightly from the panic attack and he wipes his forehead, relieved. Dear diary, I think when I question how life is treating me, I should be asking how I'm treating life, who knows, then, I might actually get the answer I'm looking for, anyway, onwards I go, I guess, for now talking through windows a bell rings, and students swarm out of Heidi's classroom, Georgie takes up the rear, stepping and hopping, Heidi hurries to catch up with him, Georgie, she calls. Yes he turns to her. I just wanted to tell you how well you're doing in this class. She smiles. You're my star pupil Georgie blushes and starts to walk away. Hey, Georgie, you should think about the winter boring. Something on Unamuno would be perfect. He nods silently. 
12 times. Dear diary, when does it all stop? I'm happy with it going on like this every day. Even the crappy stuff Mr. Twitchy Georgie walks back to his dorm room from the library with a stack of books clutched in his arms. As he passes by the football field, he sees the Wakefield lacrosse team practicing. Oza and Randy are among the players. They laugh and joke together during the drills there's no adult in sight. Georgie looks to the bleachers. Claudia and Susan and several other senior girls watch from the sidelines, cheering and chattering. Georgie trips over the sidewalk, dropping a book. As he bends down to pick it up, another falls from the stack. His body quakes without his permission. One of the players sees Georgie and points at him, mocking and laughing. Susan turns and sees Georgie. She laughs, too. Claudia frowns at her. There he is someone calls, Mr. Twitchy. Another adds, one of the Wakefield lacrosse players starts to imitate Georgie's odd step-step-step-hop-walk. He looks like a fucking mad scientist, with that hair, says Oza. One player imitates the other until the entire team is hopping around the field in unison, like a troop of soldiers running some bizarre drill. One of them falls and they all crack up laughing. Georgie, red-faced with anger and shame, tries to ignore them as he retrieves his books. But he sees when, behind the clowning players, the lacrosse coach comes onto the field. He is a man in his late thirties with a deep voice and a thick build. He watches the team for a moment, unseen by the players. Finally, he blows his whistle. The Wakefield lacrosse team turns to its coach, abruptly sober. The coach strolls up to them, casually. I'm glad to see that you girls have so much energy today, he says mockingly. Okay, everybody wins sprints the players moan. Or, come on, coach someone says quietly. The coach glances over at Georgie. To his team, he says, line up, now, girls. The players fall in line, and the coach puts the whistle to his lips. Last one across the line has to do lap more moans from the players. Oza glares at Georgie. The coach blows his whistle. The players dash. Parenthetical pet peeve. Schools assuming that kids are guilty unless they can prove they are innocent. Georgie walks away as the team runs wind sprints behind him. Lost in his humiliation, he gets no pleasure from their punishment. Later that day, at the pen, Georgie tosses a near-empty bourbon glass gently out of his left hand and back into his right. He practices tossing the bourbon glass up again and back down until his grip on the glass between his fingers is perfect. He hears voices whispering around his stool, but he does not look around and he does not speak to anyone. As far as he is concerned, he is alone. He takes the last swig from his bourbon glass, parenthetical pet peeve, taking a big swig out of a can of soda, not realizing that someone just extinguished a cigarette in it, soothed and relaxed. He leaves a big tip under the empty glass and heads out the back door, where the streetlight floods in from the back alley. Dear diary, I once heard from some old yoga instructor, something like, the earth will rise up to greet you or you will sprout wings and fly. I felt reassured until I thought about it. Pushy boy Princeton Pennant, a poster of Troy Aikman dressed as a gunslinger with footballs in his holsters, a lacrosse stick, helmet, pads and gloves stuck neatly together with the trophy for Wakefield Male Athlete of the Year, a photo of Ozo with his family. Piles of CDs, the stereo turned up loud, dirty clothes piled high in a corner, 
a desk scattered with everything but school stuff. This is Oza's room. Two people are rustling beneath the covers, kissing on the bed. Oza moans and Claudia sighs and the plastic mattress crinkles. No no no. No with an effort. Claudia sits up. Oza sits up. Two. He embraces her. He kisses her again, hungry for her. She's delicate, but she keeps pushing him off. Not so hard, Jason. Jeez. He fondles her breast and tries to drag her back down on the bed. I said no. Parenthetical pet peeve. People who can't take no for an answer. Oza's breath comes hard. Why not he pants? Because. I don't want to. Why Jesus, Jason. Why do we keep having this conversation Claudia sighs. I am just not ready. That's all. That's what you always say. Oza scoffs. When are you going to be ready I don't know. We used to have fun when we went out. Now this is all you ever want to do. Anymore. We don't even go out. Oza calms down, stroking Claudia's hair. I care for you, he says, a lot. And I just want us to get closer. If you cared for me, you would respect my feelings. Well, what about my feelings? Claudia he kisses her neck. She arches away. I'm sorry. All right, Claudia says. I just don't want to. Not now. Oza tries to kiss her neck. Not now. He mumbles mockingly into her skin. Nothing will happen. I've got protection, fuck, Jason says Claudia. That's not it, then what the hell is it? Are you frigid, or something? Claudia turns away. Oza lets out a long, deep breath and flops back on the bed. Shite, I'm sorry, Claudia. Claudia turns and snuggles against his shoulder. Why can't we just stay like this for a while, like we used to? Let's just talk or something. That was months ago, Claudia. Things change. Come on, all the other guys are laughing at me. Why? Because I won't sleep with you, Claudia draws away. Is that all I'm? Something to joke about at team meetings. What are you talking about? says Oza. It's just, you know, no, I don't know. I'm a man. I've got needs. She stares daggers at him and her jaw drops hard. Fuck your needs. She stands up and leaves. Oza hesitates, but then stomps after her with a sigh. Dear diary, come to think of it, I'm a true warrior. Hell, I can't be beaten by anything I can laugh at. Bar cops Georgie stumbles out of the darkness and into the alley behind the bar, rapping to himself. Footnote, not at the foot, the song, Fuck the Police came out in 88. But this is what Georgie's rapping, from NWA Nigaz with attitude. Thing is, this happened later than 88, I mean in real life, and every year that I push off trying to sell this goddamn book, I need to push forward the dates and the timelines within it. Besides, this stuff confuses the holy shite out of me, so you, dear reader, are not alone. Everything will turn out just fine, for all of us, you'll see, if I actually had to keep to the truth gun to my head I still wouldn't, wouldn't be able to. As for the real timeline in this more than obvious retelling of actual events, yes, I'm talking about creative non-fiction, I admit, hell, it's not that hard to figure out regardless, no matter, I still wouldn't know when anything happened, impaired thinking and inabilities to think abstractly, and the shitty east memory, as I write this later, later, much later and as I attempt to recall all of this, it screws me, and unfortunately, it most likely has you feeling screwed, feeling ripped off, feeling robbed, 
accept my biggest apologies to you, the reader, for all the utter confusion, chaos, and inconsistencies here within shite, must be driving you fucking nuts, Dr. C, is this likely the cause of my own time warp, coming from an onset of a mutated gene, Dr. C, of course I ask you this, being the pity-seeking, self-absorbed hypochondriac and the guy who is still in denial about it, could this a type of Huntington's disease, a mutation, something fucked up on the fourth chromosome, could you write me a script for genetic testing, any disorder, and any rare disorder, a disease I want it, give it here, help me label who I'm, do it through diagnosing me, as I crave, as I want, as I need, please, you sexy thing, even if you make it up, even if you pretend, I love pretending, so, that said, maybe we're in the 90s, but we'll call it 88, and Georgie holds his head up to the light as if it weighed 50 pounds, he steps in a discarded bag from McDonald's, he shakes it off, ignoring the cheese and mustard that stick to his shoe, dear diary, I am still a warrior, there's nothing to gossip about, I kill my illnesses, I'm proud of myself, I acknowledge that and I admit that for today, I'm good and I'm okay, and I care, too, today, I'm my own hero fuck the bar cops fucking with me cause I'm a teenager, he mumbles, substituting a few words with nonsense syllables, he nods, smoke any motherfucker that sweats me, holding his finger to his mouth, he blows it like the barrel of a gun, he squints, pursing his lips, I'm a sniper with a hell of a scope, tack an outer cop or two, they can't cope with me, he raps, a police car drives down the street and passes Georgie, it screeches to a halt halfway down the block and then backs up rapidly, lights flashing, the car jerks to a stop next to Georgie, two police officers jump out of the car and aggressively approach Georgie, Georgie just keeps blowing on his finger, you got ID, son one of the officers asks, Georgie stumbles and grins idiotically at the officer, he's still singing, slightly offbeat, FFF fuck the police, later, at the police department, Georgie sits on a straight-backed wooden bench, rapping quietly to himself, the door opens and Miss Heidi Birillo enters the room, she looks around, spots Georgie, and strides over to him, Georgie looks meaningfully at Heidi, do I love you, do I lust for you she blinks, but ignores his rapping, have you been drinking, Georgie she demands, have I been drinking he replies, have I been thinking, don't think, drink, Georgie say Georgie uses Heidi's arm to pull himself to his feet, the police officer approaches them and hands Heidi a clipboard, he indicates where she needs to sign, Georgie and Heidi leave together, Georgie leaning hard against Heidi, outside, Georgie climbs into Heidi's Corvette, she drives slowly away, dear diary, I could be deluding myself, but I believe that I have never been involved with anything for the money, the credit, the fame, the follows, nor the hits, blah, blah, blah to the rescue Heidi parks the Corvette in the door and parking lot, and Georgie reaches for the door handle, he starts to get out, but Heidi stops him, Georgie, she says, Georgie's still drunk, Bonita Applebaum he asks, you need to stop this, Bonita Bonita Bonita, so glad to meet you, Georgie, she insists, you're a smart young man, you might even be brilliant, but you've got to get your life together, together or apart, he responds, we're a team, 
Don't you know Heidi blinks back tears. Georgie opens the door and falls onto the sidewalk. Dear diary, I took some time earlier this morning to acknowledge my own life, for once. In all honesty, today I celebrate what an unbelievable life I have had so far, the many blessings, yes, even the hardships because they have served to make me stronger. Just as a gem cannot be polished without friction, nor can a life be perfected without trials passed out Claudia watches Georgie through Oza's dorm room window. Heidi's down there, dropping off Georgie, Claudia says. Oza's sitting on the bed with his shirt off. He peeks over. That charity case charity case? You mean he's on scholarship she pauses. Like me no. Oza bluffs. He's nothing like you. Just because we're on scholarship doesn't mean we're charity cases. Believe me, Oza says. He's a charity case. The only reason he's even here, he sighs heavily. Never mind, never mind what Oza lies back down on the bed. Nothing, he says. Tell me, Claudia demands. Oza sits up, imitates Georgie's twitching, and then taps his temple with his finger. Claudia, Georgie's a retard. My father told me. Your father would never say something like that, that doesn't mean he's not a retard, Oza shrugs, the only reason that kid's at Wakefield is because the board thought they needed diversity, Claudia glares at Oza, he laughs meanly, admit a retard or two, he says, how's that for diversity Claudia turns away from him and looks out the window again, she watches as Georgie pulls himself to his feet and Heidi drives away, Georgie tries the outside door. It's locked. He checks his pockets, but pulls out nothing. Claudia considers running downstairs to let him in. She watches as he checks out the drain pipe and starts climbing up it. When Georgie gets close to the top of the drain, the pipe starts to bend. No Claudia gasps. Shite Georgie cries as the pipe gives way. You fucking bitch the pipe gives out and Georgie falls, spraying rainwater everywhere. Georgie thuds to the ground and groans. Claudia turns on the lights, she pulls on her socks and shoes, where are you going he could be hurt so Claudia, in her sweats, runs out of the dorm and down to Georgie, she drops down by his side, shaking him slightly, Ozra opens the shade, lifts the window, and hangs his head out, the kids are retired he calls out, I told you, Georgie lies there on his back, talking to himself, just one more drink, on the house, but I don't have any more, he lifts a finger and continues in another voice, a deeper voice. There is no more alcohol, because there is no drunk to have conception of it. He laughs hysterically, then passes out cold. Claudia slaps Georgie across the face as hard as she can. Wake up, wake up she cries. Ow, ow Georgie groans, or, leave him alone, Oza says from above, still leaning out of the dorm room window. Claudia ignores him. Oza waves a dismissive hand and closes the window. The light in the room goes out. A moment later, the same light turns on again. Jason Oza the Ra's voice screeches. You were told lights out at 10. And chewing tobacco? That's it. You're on detention. First thing tomorrow, several lights from other dorm rooms flick on as students are wakened by the commotion. Georgie opens his eyes. Ow. Jeez. Quit hitting me he protests. Claudia stops slapping him, rapidly bringing her hands to her face. The stench of alcohol on Georgie's breath is overpowering. Come on, she says. Get up. Get up. 
She tries to lift him by the arm. Georgie mumbles dazedly. What time is it just past ten? Claudia helps Georgie to his feet. You can't show up at the dorms like this. A campus security SUV patrols nearby. Claudia freezes as the security vehicle rolls towards them, blinding with its bright headlights. The siren bleeps. Georgie laughs when the headlights hit him. Shite, giggles Georgie. Run where somewhere special, Georgie says. He grabs Claudia's hand, and they take off. Georgie trips and falls, almost bringing Claudia down with him. She yanks him to his feet and they race towards the woods, hand in hand, yelling gleefully. Come on, come on, pants Georgie. I'm coming. The Wakefield woods are misty and dark. Claudia helps Georgie along. He gives an occasional hop, accompanied by the usual twitching. How did you get like this? Georgie Claudia asks. You went to the pen again, didn't you? Georgie belches and trips over a rock. Claudia catches him. Never mind, I don't want to know. What do you do? Run off to the college at night, get drunk, and talk philosophy with a more intellectual crowd? No. Claudia turns to Georgie, who gazes at her, dumbfounded. Are you coming? She asks. Georgie stumbles drunkenly to catch up with her. Before long, Claudia and Georgie reach the edge of a bluff. Cece can't go any further, Georgie wheezes. They sit on the cold stone, looking out over the dark valley. Let's not go back yet, Claudia says quietly. Georgie nods, then the ground seems to curl up beneath him, and he sleeps. When he wakes, the sun's coming up. Claudia puts her hands to her face staring in awe at the sunrise, while she says, it's so beautiful, Georgie sits up, the view from the bluff is magnificent in the morning light, the bluff drops down to sloping green hills that run alongside the blue water of the Atlantic coast for miles, the sun glares red over the water and pinks the white sand beaches, I've never been here before, this is amazing Claudia gushes, it's awful, hi Claudia doesn't get it, Hushy scoffs, she notices a tree with the word rebel carved on it. Or fool, Georgie says. Fool of all? Yeah, Claudia sneers. What goes on up here? Drugs. Yeah, HM, this is where I come to cry, Georgie explains. Everybody needs a place to cry. Yeah, I'm not embarrassed, Georgie admits belligerently. Everybody's got to cry. Sometimes even me, the mad scientist. Claudia sneaks a furtive glance at Georgie. Who's biting his lip? She observes Georgie's arrhythmic facial grimacing and the rapid squinting of his eyes. What are you looking at? Georgie asks suspiciously. Nothing, Claudia says, looking away. Well, don't, just don't look. Okay, okay, Claudia says. You know, you're very sensitive. That's rare. I like it. Georgie ignores her. Can I ask you something? Something personal? Personal? Always? Georgie sneers. I'm an open book. I have Tourette's. No big deal. Oh, no. That's cool, Claudia says. You don't mind the... I don't know much about it. I just thought Georgie's twitching stops. No, no. It's no big deal. Trust me, he says. While Claudia watches the sun rise over the ocean, Georgie lies back down on the ground and covers his face with his hands. Dude, I don't want to go to the college, he moans. I really don't want to know, Claudia says. Georgie lifts his head, puzzled. Should I go to the college he asks. I don't care. Georgie pops up onto his feet, 
hops with a skip and a jump over to her. Do you think girls would like me there? He asks. At the college? I could be their class clown. You could be that here. Easy enough. Really he pauses. Are you mad at me? I don't know you well enough to be mad. Claudia says. Then what? I just don't get you. You've got this great opportunity and you're wasting it. Claudia chides. Getting drunk every night. Getting arrested. Georgie shrugs. Yeah, I guess. Climbing back into the dorms. You could have hurt yourself. Maybe died. It's stupid, is all. A waste, every clown has his demons. Georgie looks at the rough ground. He walks to the edge of the bluff, dismissing the whole conversation. He puts one foot over the edge, like maybe he's thinking about walking off. Don't, Claudia says, sharply. She runs over, grabs his arm. Georgie smiles. Just kidding, he says. This time, that's not funny, dear diary. When I try, I commit 3% but, when I do, I commit 100%. Here's to commitment to finishing this book I'm working on on the edge of something. I'm not laughing, Georgie says. I wouldn't really do it. Not now. Later, maybe. After I get famous, Claudia looks at him skeptically. What are you looking at me like that for? I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be a famous writer. I saw it in a dream. And Rich. I saw that, too. Claudia scowls. You got your life so figured out, how come you can't stop drinking? Georgie squeezes his hands tightly against his temples. R, fuck, this day, my life, it's so stupid 5am, I'm really screwed, you are what you think, Claudia intones. Point your eyes someplace new, somewhere good. My dad always said that, said what Claudia doesn't respond. Georgie smiles warmly at her. After a moment, she returns the look the new day the sun shines brightly at midday over the campus. The clock tower chimes as Georgie and Claudia walk across the main lawn, heading towards the academic building. Georgie lights a fresh cigarette. He stumbles slightly, twitching, skipping, puckering his lips, and scratching himself. Claudia grins at him. Hey, sorry about yesterday, he says. It's all right. I was awake anyway. You should have just left me. It was my own fault, he hops. Yeah, but then I wouldn't have seen the bluff, she smiles. Georgie smiles back hesitantly. I guess I was really wasted, you get wasted a lot, don't you yeah? Why why Georgie is hesitant? I'm not sure. I'm partly addicted, I think, but not really. Georgie doesn't quite know how to answer. Maybe I'm just trying to block out some of the more embarrassing and painful magic tricks and ticks from the disorder. Good excuse, Georgie sighs. Not really. But, hell, drink allows other spirits to mingle with my own. So I'm not all by myself. You're never by yourself. Never. No one is. Penny Wilder, one of the popular rich kids, a real nobody, and nobody can stand the snob. But she passes by Claudia and passes off Georgie. Who sniffs, seeing Penny much less come close to Claudia. He daydreams an instant replay of Claudia's you're never by yourself bit, and hell knows he's wishing he were alone, with a brief shudder of self-doubt, just glad he's not Penny, in a quick daydream, he dreams of being popular, like Penny and her infamous clique, he dreams of what happens if, all the while, Penny pauses for a second, smirking her familiar smug. Her offensive yet attention-getting smile, repeating the only two words Georgie's ever heard her say. 
as if her words are expressing a judgmental opinion that she's the queen of the school, parenthetical pet peeve, people who talk very slowly, hi, Claudia, Penny says, Georgie wishing he were not in school, but at the reunion, years later, when Penny's turned to the waist that most popular kids come to be, all this from two bloody words, hi, Claudia, it seriously does him in, and Georgie has no idea why, time stops. Claudia's naturally quite self-assured with her simple reply, Hi, Penny, and that was it. Georgie completely overcomplicates everything especially his own paranoid and mentally ill mind with zero resilience. Penny, as usual, doesn't say anything to Georgie. She lifts her brows curiously and walks on and time suddenly reactivates. If Claudia only knew how and what and why Georgie thinks and feels as he does completely alone and paranoid of people. Hell, he doesn't want to know, some things are meant to be unknown, see what I mean, she thinks you're crazy to be talking to me, if she had her way, I'd always be alone, Georgie frowns, Claudia smiles, that might mean something, if I cared what she thought, you care, it's written all over you, not about her, I don't, Claudia squints at Penny's back, just a rich kid, she thinks she's too good for everyone, they stop for a second, Georgie lets Claudia's comments sink in and lights another cigarette, he juggles it up and down between his fingers, getting the grip just right, then Georgie and Claudia walk on, I always thought Tourette's was just above swearing and shouting and stuff like that, Claudia says, no, that's just the fun part, Georgie answers, each one of us is different, it's just a small number of us who swear, so you only swear when you want to Claudia asks, Georgie grins, pretty much, Georgie grunts a couple times and wipes his nose, parenthetical pet peeve, my nose starts running when I have no access to a tissue, he sniffs, and then grunts again, Mozart had Tourette's, you know, and Samuel Johnson, the writer, at least some people think they did, really Georgie nods, back then it was called the devil's dance, Saint Vitus dance, Maybe it'll become the new trendy thing, someday. The twitches? Yeah, maybe. So that's why you drink. The Tourette nods again. That's some of it. Part of it. Fart of it. Not the heart of it. Do you have any friends here? Asks Claudia. Georgie smiles and lies. Some. Hey, what about Oza? He's your boyfriend, right yeah? Claudia says slowly. Caution. Entering dangerous topic, Georgie says flippantly. He pauses, do you love him love Georgie hesitates, his dad's the one who got us in here, right here, see you later, Claudia abruptly turns and jogs up the stairs into the academics building, Georgie finishes one last drag on his cigarette, and then follows more slowly, dear diary, I am still writing my book, which I now wholeheartedly know for a fact I will complete, when the last letter is typed, I cannot wait to then declare to myself, Quoting Cyrano de Bergerac, in French, a laugh in DL Envoy, Jetage, it's happening, I'm so revved up and in the zone, I feel raw, I feel manic and bizarre, I'm going to kill this book, I'm on it, baby at the pen that night Georgie enters the pen just as Wyman and Susan slip out, they are wrapped in each other's lips, blinded by lust, they don't even see him, Georgie makes an uncomfortable entrance, squeezing past the lovers and spasming as he sees Oza, who glowers at him, he slowly shuffles over to the bar and orders, 
he gulps down a beer and goes to the pinball machine. Georgie, in the corner, shoves his coins into the machine and pulls the pin. The pinball shoots down the gutter. Georgie blinks rapidly as two college girls approach him. One, the shorter of the two, wears a Wrigley U sweatshirt, while the other hides behind glasses and a turtleneck with jeans. You have a girlfriend, how the sweater asks. Lisa, he's here by himself, the turtleneck points out. Georgie puts another coin into the machine and pulls the pin again. He won't look at them. No, I'm not, he says. Oza looks on. Georgie directs the girl's attention to Oza with his eyes. He's single, he says. The girls glance at Oza for a second. They are not interested. If you had one ounce of spontaneity in you, you'd leave him and give me your phone number. Oza yells drunkenly. The girls shrug him off with a wave of disgust. Pig, the turtleneck mutters. Georgie finally glances at them. Are you spontaneous? The sweeted Lisa turns to her friend. Let's ask him, Joe. Joe looks Georgie in the eyes. He's tick-free. You ever had a threesome? Joe asks. Georgie answers only with a long pause. Lisa smiles. No strings attached, she croons. Dear diary, in life, when I'm up, my friends get to know who I'm. When I'm down in life, that's when I get to know who my friends are. No doubt back in business the sun rises with the morning. Birds sing. A rooster crows. Georgie sleeps through his ringing alarm clock. Two pairs of women's panties lie across his face. When the light strikes his face he groans and rolls out of bed. He dresses, takes a small handful of medication, and hurries out the door. Georgie stumbles into class late, obviously hungover, but with a huge grin plastered across his face. He takes off his sunglasses. Hello, everybody there's a round of snickers and laughter from all the students except Claudia. Heidi smiles. Well, Mr. Gust, she says, you've decided to join us. And in such gay spirits, Georgie smiles back. Sort of, he says. He sidles into his seat. The students quiet down. Heidi begins her lecture again. Okay, moving right along. Today, like I told you, we've got lab. So all of you find yourself a partner. Everybody but Georgie seems to partner up immediately. He finally stands to look around. He approaches Stephen Brooks. Brooks ignores him and joins up with his swimming buddy, the feminine Kenny. He notices Elizabeth. Elizabeth she imitates his headaches. Eh sorry, sweetie. She approaches Hendrix. Henny, baby she says. Georgie notices another kid with a full beard of peach fuzz, who approaches Georgie with a grin, but the kid stops short when he sees a girl, Rachel, beckoning to him from behind Georgie. They partner up. Georgie calls to Peach Fuzz. Hey, man, what's up dude? Peach Fuzz looks down at Rachel's rack. He looks back to Georgie for a moment. Tits, tits, Rachel, be my valentine. Rachel looks at Georgie smirks, and sidles up to Peach Fuzz. Well, this should be fun, she says. Do you think we'll have to shave each other not me? You need a shave Rachel laughs. Hey, check out mad scientist, Peach Fuzz whispers. Rachel scoffs as Peach Fuzz convulses in his chair. Claudia, of course, quickly partnered with Eddie, who had sat beside her in Oza's absence. Georgie's the only one left standing. He looks at Heidi from the back of the room, and then stares at his shoes. Georgie, are you the odd man outsize Heidi? Claudia looks at Georgie, 
but he won't look back at her. She stands and walks silently back to him. Some of the students break out in frantic whispers. Heidi smiles as Claudia sits down next to Georgie. Eddie, I guess you're with me. Odd man out. Heidi chuckles. Everyone got their dates. Georgie grins at Claudia. Dude, you're awesome. Claudia nods her head. I heard you had some date last night. Georgie smiles, slightly embarrassed. Nah, not me. The bell rings. The students grab their things and rush out of class, but Georgie hangs back. Claudia gives him a last look before she joins the others. He raises his hand in a slight, shy wave. Georgie approaches Heidi at the front of the room. Sorry I was late again, it's a renewed detention. Heidi smiles, but you knew that already, didn't you it's okay. I'll just sleep, nobody notices. Heidi looks at Georgie, and softens. Your essay on Sartre and bad faith was quite something. Impressive, a flurry of noise in the hallway distracts Heidi. Excuse me, she says. She shuts the door. Have you given any more thought to the winter boring? I'd encourage you to give it your best shot. You've got quite a noggin, Mr. Gust. Georgie looks up at her. Noggin Hagen does? His cheek twitches. Sorry. Poetry in my head. Lyrics? Heidi smiles. Listen, it's the first nice day of the season. Would you care to join me for lunch in the yard? Georgie jerks his head as if nodding dramatically. Yeah, sure, he says. I know I'm twitching, but that's a yes. God, my head's killing me. Yes, okay. Heidi grabs her bag and heads for the door, and they walk together to the yard. Around them, students wave to each other and yell. Some run while others play out on the grass, enjoying the first warm day of the year. Um, I have a better idea. Heidi says, how about a short field trip dear diary, Jesus, sometimes the solutions to my most difficult problems are right at my damn fingertips, shite grave company Georgie, following Heidi's lead, places small stones on the cemetery grave sites that surround them, Heidi and Georgie have a private picnic on the grass, they keep company with the Harrison Memorial, Finding their own safety zones within the boundaries of the curling black iron spires of the cemetery gates. Eating, for Georgie, is ritualistic. He lifts his sandwich to his face and smells it before biting. Then he smells it again and chews with gaping, seemingly random chomps. His elbows lift up to his ears, the left, and then the right. He squints and twitches his nose, but Heidi doesn't seem to mind. He doesn't touch his vegetables. He looks up at his teacher. Why were you late today? Again, she demands. I was at the college, performing ticks for an older crowd. The sororities love me there, he answers flippantly. Heidi scowls. And you hung over? Georgie's right leg begins to shiver. It kicks. Why? Georgie I don't conform. I'm a rebel. Heidi shakes her head. Being a rebel's the ultimate conformity. Everyone's a rebel, but I'm not conforming. The trick of today's youth is to rebel and conform at the same time. It's pretty hard I'm no good at it, but what are you rebelling against? Georgie's leg shakes harder. Society, and whatever devil's inside me, shaking me up, you know, years ago they would have burned you at the stake. They would have thought you were possessed by the devil, Heidi pauses thoughtfully. But then, they would have probably burned me, too, she concludes. Georgie responds with more twitching. What do you mean Georgie asks, she grimaces, for teaching philosophy, it was not regarded as a woman's job, 
I would have been labeled a witch, a rebel, and you would have been the devil's spawn, too, Hushy smiles, and continues, at least these days, nobody's holding a gun to your head but you, things might be as good as they are going to get, for now, society-wise, I appreciate your curiosity about my condition, Georgie answers lightly, but telling me I'll die if I don't change isn't helping, not here, not now, Georgie darts away, skipping like a cripple, then runs back and dives into Heidi's arms, he cries ever so slightly, she hugs him slowly, wrapping a tentative arm around his shoulders, moments later, he withdraws from her with a grimace, probably we should head back, he says, Heidi and Georgie pick their way through the graveyard, a significant life leaves its mark on the world, Heidi says finally, looking wistfully at the gravestone inscriptions, what's that asks Georgie, oh, just something an old teacher of mine used to say, for a moment, silence, have you left your mark Georgie asks, Heidi sighs, not yet, I am still hoping, Georgie squints, jumping and flapping his arms, the more comfortable you are with who you are, the less you'll need to rebel, Heidi continues, what do you want for yourself I don't know what I want, his foot begins to stomp, I just don't want to be taken over by these devils, Heidi ignores the display, we all have our demons, she sighs, what sets us apart is the way we deal with them, Georgie clucks his tongue, grunts, and sniffs disdainfully, dear diary, I took the day off and read some Tennyson poetry, all I could gather or interpret as for myself was that, it's likely better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, I mean, we all lose eventually, everyone gets left behind at some time through death or other misfortune, nonetheless, I'm back on the book now, if one could even call it a book, ugh, hell yes, I'm back, man, I'm fucking Batman there's no place like, at a Wakefield diner, Oza and Claudia share a plate of cheese fries over their cokes, the jukebox plays twangy country love songs a little too loudly, Oza gestures angrily with a fry, dude, what the hell have you been doing with Mr. Twitchy he demands, don't call him that Georgie Porgy, then, Oza says sarcastically, we're just partners, for class, Claudia folds her arms, oh, really Oza looks intently at her, she glares at him, if you cared for me so much, you would have come to class, she sniffs, I would have chosen you over him, if you were there, Oza smiles at her, alright, then, I'll trust you, I guess I have to, Jesus, Jason, alright, alright, Claudia finishes her soda, want another Oza reaches into his pocket for some change and hands it to Claudia as she nods, she takes the change and appraises it, then tucks it into her pocket, I think it's more about a dollar or so, Oza gives her a twenty, he squints hungrily at her but as she walks from the booth, dear diary, once again, things aren't adding up in my life, overall, I've got to start subtracting, good for mathematics, and I suppose good for life itself, too, fuck it misery loves company Georgie frantically throws the covers from his bed as he looks for his journal, his spasms come so quickly that they are almost invisible, he grunts his frustration and finally, giving up, he reaches under the mattress for his flask and takes a swig, he pulls on a jacket, stuffing the flask in his pocket, and leaves, he shuffles into the woods, self-absorbed and lost in thought, his feet know the way.
He lights a cigarette. Halfway through his second cig, Georgie reaches the bluff. He stops when he sees somebody else there. It's Claudia she's crying. She hears his footsteps and turns toward him. Oh, hi, she says. Georgie's surprised, but he manages a hello in return. Claudia stands. I am sorry, I didn't think anyone would be here, she stammers. I'll go, no, you don't have to, stay, Georgie says, gesturing. What are you doing here, parenthetical pet peeve, people who ask, what are you doing here when they don't really want to know what you're doing, but want to know why you are there in the first place and they don't like you being around, Claudia shrugs, maybe I needed a place to cry, you, what do you have to cry about plenty, she sniffs, believe me, like what he insists, like, maybe, pressure, she looks at him, oh, forget it, she says. She points to his cigarette. Do you live off those things? I never see you without one. She wipes away her tears. Sort of, I guess. Georgie mumbles. They'll kill you. Georgie looks at the cigarette. I hope so. What? Why would you say that Georgie shrugs? Really? It's not like anyone would care. I would, Claudia says quietly. The long Atlantic rollers crash in and out behind her as he stares. Stock still. She walks over next to him and soon he seems to relax. My parents sent me here, Georgie says out of the blue. I hated my old school. I wanted to get away. More girls here than boys, you know. Not bad odds. He hops to his feet, smiling. They called me F- minus all through middle school, he giggles. That's fucked up. Yeah, Claudia laughs with him. Shite yeah, dude Georgie exclaims. Like, what is normal these days, right? What is dysfunctional? Same thing, right? Claudia laughs, nodding. I'm only here because Dr. Rosa, Jason's father, pulled some strings to get me a scholarship. Yeah, really? Small world. Dr. Rosa did my mother's surgery. He pays my way, as long as I keep my grades up. Same here. Claudia paused a beat. My mother's his secretary, she explained. Get out of town. Georgie threw up his hands. Is that why you go out with that dick, Jason? Pressure. That's why, isn't it? Claudia looks away. Fucking Oza, Georgie scoffs. Dear diary, I take a vow to never be a victim of life again. Lord, help me. No, I'm going to conquer the shite out of it. Man, oh, man, I'm always changing. Good. I'm like a god, I'm chameleon and I love it. A good thing Georgie and Claudia lean over the side of an old stone and wood bridge. They drop stones in the water, watching the ripples spread outward. I hate my parents, Georgie begins. My real father's dead, Claudia throws another stone. Lucky you, Claudia stares at Georgie as he lights a fresh cigarette. Claudia snatches it from his mouth, throws the burned part in the water, and pockets the filter. Georgie does not respond. Don't say that, Claudia says after a pause. I loved my dad. What happened to him? He was a cop. A New York City cop. He had trouble sometimes, you know, with the job, with all the stuff you'd see. Claudia looks at Georgie to see if he understands. He nods. Anyway, that's what my mom said. He'd get really depressed, and stuff, like me. Claudia smiles sadly. Two years ago, he was the first officer on the scene of a small plane crash, she continues quietly. Everyone was dead. They died instantly, she pauses, all except for this little, tiny baby. 
a girl. My dad tried to save her, but anyway, he got, like, a medal of honor and stuff, and everyone told him how it wasn't his fault. He didn't seem too upset at the time, but he killed himself three months later. I still wish I was in your shoes, Georgie mumbles. Stop it, Claudia turns and looks him straight in the eyes. I loved my dad. I'd give anything to have him back, Georgie. Anything, a pregnant silence rises between them. Really Georgie says finally, really, I used to be able to talk with him every night, when he was alive, now I can talk to him when I pray, but I can't hear him answer, you think he hears you Georgie looks at her, his eyes blinking involuntarily, I know he hears me, I just wish I could hear him, she gets to her feet, and Georgie follows, my parents never hear me, or see me, even though I'm right there, they've just always thought of me as the freak, a freak's a good thing, Georgie, Georgie looks incredulous, Claudia rummages through her pockets and pulls out a dime, know what this is she holds it under his nose, Georgie examines the coin, a dime look at the date, Claudia commands, Georgie looks, one, nine, five, that can't be right it was supposed to be 1956, the year my father was born, Claudia closes her fist and thrusts the coin back in her pocket, but it's a mistake, it's what coin collectors call a freak, because it's so different, it's actually worth something, she smiles, your dad gave that to you my mom, after he died, it was his, though, my dad's never given me anything, Georgie scowls at the water and throws another stone, it veers off into the brush on the side of the stream, Georgie well, maybe that's not true, I'm a master at manipulation, you know, Maybe he did give me stuff lots of stuff, I just don't want his head jerk spastically to the side, I don't know, sometimes I wish I could just jump ahead and be, like, 50 years old, his brow wrinkles, what the fuck he mutters, he shakes his head hard, blowing air from his lungs loudly, Claudia, I don't know who the hell I'm he cries hoarsely, I drive myself fucking nuts what Claudia puts her hand on his arm, Georgie, are you okay please, Claudia, please don't fuck with me, not now, you might as well just hate me, save yourself the trouble, Claudia remains calm, waiting for Georgie's tantrum to fade, you look fine from here, she says lightly, why should I hate you you will, it's only a matter of time, Claudia laughs her disbelief, Georgie, you just think entirely too much, let go a little, it's Friday, I'd love to see you on autopilot, you know, like just acting yourself, without thinking about it, Georgie kicks a rock from under his feet, he gets what she's saying, she sees his little smirk, yeah, no pressure, let's blow off all the pressure, you and me, Georgie pokes Claudia on the side and she swipes at him, giggling, he skips away from her and she lunges forward, he breaks into a run, Georgie and Claudia run together through the woods and into an open field, I'm free, being myself with Claudia in the bright sunlight, the spring wildflowers, Claudia picks a handful of flowers for her room, and Georgie adds to her bouquet, touching her lightly on the shoulder, she jerks away from him ever so slightly, but as the bouquet grows she minds his touch less and less, finally her hand is so full of flowers that it can't hold anymore, the two collapse onto the soft grass, my dad would have been 50, this year, the end of April, halfway to hell that's what he called his birthday, 
She pulls her knees to her chest. I miss him so much, Georgie. I can't stand it. Sometimes, she laughs without joy. Every year, for his birthday, my mother would make him the same dinner. Yay corned beef and lime jello. Georgie shudders. I know, I know. Claudia laughs softly. It's no gourmet, but he loved it. Anyhow, Georgie moves closer to Claudia. His head is next to hers, in the grass, and I'd give him the stupidest presents, when I was a kid, one year it was a canister of Play-Doh, they giggle, when I finally had some money of my own, I bought him a Garfield stationery set, Claudia wipes her eyes as she laughs, I miss him so much, sometimes I just can't stand it, I just want to see him so much that I want to die, to be with him, Georgie frowns quizzically, how you know? Like heaven she pauses and shakes her head. How about your dad? Don't you miss seeing him? Every year. I guess so, Georgie says playfully. Sort of. Claudia blinks back tears. It doesn't make any sense, Georgie snarls suddenly. You lose a father you love, and I'm stuck with one I hate. Don't say that, Georgie, Claudia insists. I bet anything that your dad and mom love you to pieces. They just don't get you, is all. Georgie shrugs, then smiles. He pokes Claudia again and leaps up. She jogs after him until they reach a stone wall at the edge of the field. She rushes past him. Come on she grins. Clutching the wildflowers in one hand, Claudia scrambles atop the wall. She walks along the wall with her arms stretched out for balance. Georgie walks behind her, hopping occasionally. Claudia looks back and grins at him. Georgie reaches out and touches her leg. Surprised, she slips and loses her balance. Georgie tries to catch her, but he trips, and they both land in the mud. Georgie ticks and twitches furiously, he's terrified that she'll be mad at him. But Claudia just throws back her head and laughs. After a stunned moment of relief, Georgie joins her. Later that afternoon, Georgie and Claudia walk through a street fair on Main Street. Georgie holds cotton candy in his right hand. Claudia has a candied apple, they were gated for a week, on full restriction, Georgie says, they put hair remover in my shampoo, that's horrible, Claudia mutters, biting into her apple, I got them back, though, Georgie grins, what did you do they halt near a fresh dill pickle stand, Georgie leans over so that his face is only inches from hers, he can smell the sweet apple on her breath, I put X-lax in their chicken sandwiches, he says quietly, Claudia bursts out laughing, and Georgie is only too happy to join her. After a moment, Claudia exhales and wipes her eyes. She tilts her head, smiling. Hey, look, she says. A troop of mimes approaches Claudia, moving like swans gliding across a still pond. They smile with Claudia, the swans dive and scatter. A balloonist hands Claudia a balloon flower. Georgie smiles. The balloonist makes another figure. It's a monkey. The mimes reform and pretend to be prisoners in their own cages. The balloonist gives Georgie the monkey-shaped balloon. Un thanks, Georgie says. The balloonist bows and swoops after a group of girl scouts. The mimes follow silently behind. All too soon, however, the day draws to a close. Georgie and Claudia walk down the street, nearing the Wakefield campus. I wish we didn't have to go back, Claudia sighs peacefully. This afternoon was so nice, so free she throws her hands to the sky and grins. It's good to get away, from the pressure, 
Georgie darts a glance at her and hops. What pressure? More pressure what pressure? To be the perfect daughter. To get into a good college. To Claudia hesitates. What Claudia looks carefully at Georgie as they round the corner where the Wakefield sign announces school grounds. It's Oza, she says carefully. He wants me to sleep with him, Oza, Georgie scoffs. Why do you keep on with him? Claudia stares at the sidewalk in silence. I mean, if he keeps pressuring you, Georgie continues, trying to regain ground. Well, you don't want to Claudia nods, then you shouldn't. Georgie's face transforms as every muscle convulses at once. Claudia doesn't see. I don't know. I'm not ready. But he won't stop bugging me. It's all he ever talks about, anymore. We never do anything. Georgie tries to hide a hopeful smile. It's so simple. You don't need to impress anyone, Claudia. Claudia nods. It's my friends, too. They think I'm they think I'm frigid. Oh you know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I just haven't found the right person, though, you don't owe Oza anything, Georgie points out quietly. He thinks I do. He says it's normal for a boy, for a man. He says that's how guys express love. He's an idiot. Izzy Claudia looks into Georgie's face, challenging him. Put it another way. If you were my boyfriend, wouldn't you pressure me for sex? Wouldn't you want it? Tell me the truth. Are you kidding? Georgie stops walking. He stares at her. I'd be, I'd be happy just to hold your hand. God, Claudia she holds out her hand to him, her face solemn. Georgie's eyes widen. She grins. Go on, take it, it won't burn. The first time, Georgie whispers. Nothing ever replaces the first time, right hesitantly, he takes her hand. He stares at his hand, holding Claudia's like it might disappear at any moment. You know what Claudia says quietly? Trying to catch his eye, Georgie stares at their hands, feeling the warmth of her palms spread into his. Hush, he whispers. I've never had sex, Georgie. Not with anyone, she whispers. Shite, I'm holding your hand, Georgie mutters. Only then does he look up into her face. Her eyes are open, shining. She leans forward and kisses Georgie on the mouth. Georgie blinks rapidly and then steps closer to her. They kiss again. Then Claudia turns, like an alarm's gone off in her head. Shite, she mutters. Georgie follows her gaze. Ozer is coming down the walk, having just finished lacrosse practice. His stick, with his helmet and other gear attached, is slung over his shoulder. He stiffens when he sees Georgie and Claudia holding hands. Georgie self-consciously drops Claudia's hand as Oza approaches them. Oza's face contorts in rage. What are you doing with her? She squirts. he yells. What does it look like? She snaps at him. Oza looks at her clothes and at Georgie's. How did you get so dirty? He demands. We were having sex? Claudia hisses sarcastically. Oza's eyes flash at Georgie, and a brilliant red flush covers his cheeks. Well, good for you, Oza says his voice terrifyingly calm, flowers, too, isn't that sweet, he takes Claudia's arm and jerks her away from Georgie, guess what, show's over, he says, Claudia pulls away from him, don't tell me what to do, Jason, she threatens, Oza shrugs, you want to pick flowers with freaks, pick flowers with freaks, he turns to Georgie, twitchy, you are so easy to make fun of, I can't stand it, Oza lunges at Georgie, who backs away, uh, Oza laughs, a uh, Georgie repeats, 
What Oza squints, wondering if Georgie's making fun of him. Georgie's silent and still. Hell, yeah, Oza struts to Claudia. Don't forget about tonight, he commands. I won't forget, Claudia says. Her voice is cold as steel. See you then, Oza spins and swaggers off down the walk. Claudia and Georgie look at each other in amusement, rolling their eyes. I'm sure glad he didn't show up a second before he did, Georgie says finally. Oh, Georgie, Claudia sighs. Her hand twitches, but she leaves it at her side. Dear diary, in the face of work-related anxiety, stress, flu, schizophrenia, dyslexia, computer crash after crash and being legally blind plain and simple, I did it, again, I embraced the hope and the courage and I did it, took care of the business at hand, and all simply the best I could and can, and I'm still writing, a lot of exorcising my own inner demons and angels once, twice, Georgie stalks the luxury stacks, thinking about the winter boring, he might just enter, he might, as he strolls slowly towards the back, he hears the sound of murmuring, of hands roving over cloth. Damn. Wow, a voice says lowly. You're good, Jason. Don't tell anybody. Okay, Oza whispers. A minute later, Georgie sees Susan trotting down the center aisle, a smug grin on her face. Georgie waits until she's almost to the door, then he follows slowly. Georgie sets his bag down on a table and starts to stuff books into it. He watches as Wyman enters the library and Susan meets him by the door. Hey, baby, I'm late for class, Susan says lightly. She kisses him on the cheek. Catch up with you later. Wyman takes a few steps into the room and then stops, looking down the aisles. Georgie follows his gaze. He sees Oza approaching. Oza holds a thick science textbook lightly in his hand. Hey, brother, Oza says quietly. Georgie twitches. What do you want? Oza Georgie mutters, in not a book, huh in not in not Oza snorts, he looks over and finds Wyman, who is thumbing through a magazine, yo, Wyman, get over here, wanna see something he grins, Oza brandishes the huge, heavy science book, Georgie twitches, and the zipper in his backpack gets caught in the fabric, he yanks at it impatiently with one hand, then uses the other to steady himself on the counter as a full-body shudder overcomes him. Yes, you drunken wastrel, Osley hisses. I do want a book. This fucking book. He slams the book's sharp edge down on Georgie's fingers. Georgie bites back a yell as pain sears up his arm. Osley leans in close to Georgie as he struggles to pull his hand away. Keep away from my girl, you little bastard, or I'll kill you. Oza growls. You hear me? I'll fucking kill you. Personally, you feel that Oza leans hard on the heavy book, pressing it into Georgie's fingers. Georgie whimpers involuntarily. His eyes shoot hatred. You hear me? Georgie's neck arches with pain. Oza leans still harder on the book, grinding it into Georgie's fingers. With an effort, Wyman pulls Oza's hand away. Georgie snatches his hand up from under the book, holding it to his chest. His eyes scrunch with pain. Jesus, dude, take it easy, Wyman says. You're gonna break his hand. Oza looks like it's all he can do not to jump over the table and begin pounding Georgie into a faceless nothing. Georgie wraps his arm around his backpack, not caring about the zipper, and backs slowly away. Come on, man, let's get out of here. Wyman looks around pointedly. 
A few students who have just entered are watching the trio. He leads Oza away. Oza's face is bright red. He looks back at Georgie, whose face is also inflamed. Oza gives Georgie the finger. Remember what I said he yells. This isn't about you, you faggot freak. Faggot Georgie says wonderingly. Oza stops. He yanks his arm from Wyman's grip and stalks over to Georgie, pushing his finger into Georgie's chest. You, watch your ass, he commands. D don't worry, Oza. I will, dear diary, I believe a lot of the problems in our world would disappear if more of us would decide to talk to each other rather than simply talking about everybody else. Oh well truth, lies, and lunch the next day, Georgie and Heidi walk down to the cemetery to enjoy their weekly lunch. Georgie smokes, as usual, with one hand. His other is shoved into the front pocket of his hooded sweater. He feels bright, animated, for some reason. He hops with a sense of purpose. How about we meet somewhere new for a change Heidi suggests as the cemetery looms into sight. Why Georgie says quickly, I like it over there. It's hard to get away, to be alone, on campus, I mean, I like getting out, somewhere where it's quiet, you're a good kid, Georgie, Heidi says kindly, I'm a good boy, Charlie Brown, Georgie smirks, Heidi laughs, they enter the cemetery and quickly find a secluded grassy area, beneath some young trees, they sit, Georgie digs into his food, eating rapidly, for a while, all is silence. Then Georgie looks up from the remains of his lunch. You're the first adult I've ever felt I could really talk to, he says matter-of-factly. You encourage maturity, somehow, thank you. Heidi grins. You seem especially bouncy today, I'm off my medication. Georgie nods three times. I've been good lately, Heidi's eyes open wide in surprise. You're kidding me, the doctors approved of that Georgie shrugs. Yeah. I tapered down for a little while, and now I'm off completely. It's liberating, I think. He looks down at the grass. Georgie, Heidi pauses, assessing him. She sighs. Well, maybe you really don't need them, she concedes. Hey, Heidi, can I ask you a question? Georgie says suddenly. Heidi nods. How come you're not married? No one's ever asked me, Heidi says evenly. Really, really, I can't believe that. Georgie says, believe it, Heidi responds lightly, but but you're attractive and you've got a good job, not to mention that you're mentally stable, and mature, all that he stops, blushing, Heidi smiles, thanks, she laughs, but men, I think, tend to find me off-putting, that's just a two dollar word for bossy, not all men, Georgie says sullenly, maybe I'm just destined to be an old maid, Heidi says lightly, seeming to study the bark of a nearby oak. No, don't think that way, Georgie says. Not unless you want to be that old maid, Heidi's face seems overcome by relief. Yeah, I guess I didn't really think about it that way, she grins at Georgie. You make me feel young and alive again, Georgie. Thank you. Don't thank me, Georgie says earnestly. You've done so much for me. He blushes awkwardly and digs through his backpack. I decided to go ahead and enter the Winterborn, he says, pulling out a book and showing it to her. The book is Sartre's Being and Nothingness. I'm writing an essay. I think I'll call it, On Bad Faith. That's great, Georgie Heidi hands the book back to him. Really, anything I can do to help, you just let me know. Okay, 
Georgie nods and returns the book to his backpack. He has to use both his hands to yank the zipper into place. As he does so, Heidi suddenly notices the swollen mess of his fingers. She takes Georgie's wrist. What happened to your hand? Georgie Georgie tries to pull his wrist free, but Heidi holds it tight. I'm all right, he insists. Who did this? Heidi demands. No one. Well, me. I slammed the window on my hand. Okay, I'm all right. Heidi looks closely at his face. Are you telling me the truth? Why wouldn't I? Georgie shrugs. Heidi looks at him silently. Did you go to the nurse? Georgie jerks his wrist out of her grasp. I told you, it's all right. I don't need a nurse. Heidi takes another look at his bruised fingers. Here, she says quietly, pulling a cold soda from her lunch. She holds the can to his hand. Georgie catches his breath at the cold, and then relaxes as the pain begins to numb. Tell me something, Heidi, he says a few minutes later. Why do you take so much interest in me? Heidi looks him in the eyes. Georgie, for once, makes direct eye contact with her. Do you feel sorry for me? He demands. Because if that's why Heidi takes a deep breath and he halts. At first, I admit, I was drawn to you because of your Tourette's. Yes, she answers. You interested me, intellectually, but since I've gotten to know you, my reasons changed. You remind me of someone you remind me of myself, you you might as well mistake a slug for a horse, he thinks. Well, maybe I should say that you remind me of my sister. Being with you reminds me of how I used to feel when I was with her. You both talk about yourselves the same way. Heidi wraps her arms around her knees and looks away. She was a bright girl, and she had cerebral palsy. It wasn't a bad case, just enough to make her different. The other kids laughed at her and teased her a lot. She had no friends, she drank all the time, and she started having sex when she wasn't ready. She stands abruptly and walks around Georgie, fingering the headstones that surround them. Eventually she had a baby, and then went into therapy, all that. But she overdosed a few years later, and her heart stopped. Just like that, and you couldn't stop it, Georgie prompted her. I couldn't get out of my own head. In a way, I forgot about my sister until it was too late. She turns to Georgie. She looks up to me, you know. She'd have done whatever I told her, if I'd bothered to take notice, so you feel guilty, Georgie concluded, and to make up for what happened to her, you want to save me, I see a lot of her in you, Georgie, you have a lot to offer the world, even though it seems like nobody notices, maybe not even you, you think, like I owe the world something because of this he knocks his knuckles against his head, this gift, it's bullshit, I can't stand it. What about what I want? How Heidi trembles slightly. We'd better head back, Georgie. Okay Georgie doesn't know what to say. He plays with a fresh cigarette, but doesn't light it. Heidi looks at her watch. Come on, it's almost time for class, dear diary. True, I do have this condition called schizophrenia. However I feel with my entire heart, not just from a part of my conditions, which I embrace living my life the best I'm able. In times of suffering or elated joy, I not only feel it, I live it. I'm a human being, just like anyone else. To be called crazy, insane, or simply a bad person, I'm inclined to believe more in the act of caring. Not caring is crazier than just being called crazy. Detention, detention hall is an old, 
silent lecture hall, with yards of empty floor space behind the built-in desks and chairs. The jerkily ticking wall clock reads 7.06 a.m. Georgie lays flat out behind the back row, on the floor, using his jacket as a pillow. His headset is on, although his eyes are closed. Classical music drifts tinny from the headphones. Some of the kids in the back row peek over at him jealously. A few slight whispers echo through the cavernous room. The hall monitor, an elderly man named Mr. Pivens, hasn't the faintest clue what Georgie is doing. He sits under the wall clock, behind a desk facing the students. He reads a newspaper as he listens to the students scratching their pencils against paper and flipping through books. Occasionally, he wipes his fingers on his green polo shirt as though to keep them clean of newspaper print. He looks down his glasses at Elizabeth Winters when she comes in late, still yawning. She's wearing pajama bottoms, a terrycloth bathrobe, and slippers. Her hair is a straw nest. Sorry, Mr. Pivens, she says, seeming to shrink at the glances of other students at her bedclothes. Mr. Pivens doesn't even look up. You're late, he says, turning the page. I'll expect to see you here next week, as well, shite, Elizabeth mutters under her breath. And the week after that, Elizabeth, he says calmly. She sits down heavily, dropping her books loudly on the desk. Mr. Pivens raises an eyebrow, and she is silent. Georgie smiles, although he didn't hear a word of the exchange. He's in his own world, now. Dear diary, I think the child in me sees and knows. The adult only clouds the issue. When young, I believed and I was innocent, the world crowded in. R, to be more childlike, but either way seems to work out in the long run rocks for jocks Georgie and Claudia walk into Heidi's class together, talking and laughing. They take seats with the rest of the students, near the open window. A very slight breeze cools the overly warm room. Heidi stands before them. Last week we talked about bad faith, she begins. Bad faith, we decided, comes from reducing another person to a prescribed role. Can anybody give me an example of bad faith? Claudia raises her hand. Heidi points to her. Claudia a doctor? Yes Heidi smiles. In the case of the doctor? He or she is draped in nothing but a paper gown that confines him in an inauthentic identity. Temporarily, at least, Heidi walks down the center row, and then sits at one of the desks. We all play different roles, she continues. Some are authentic, some inauthentic. For example, I'm acting as your teacher, right now. But I'm not just a teacher. In this classroom, I play a role that doesn't fit the whole me. Therefore, I'm in bad faith. Herr Hendrix asks, looking at her like she's just cartwheeled from an alien spaceship. Heidi grins wolfishly. That reminds me, Hendrix, I have your test results back. The students groan and complain as Heidi begins to hand their tests back, then begin chattering with one another, comparing scores and answers. As Georgie turns to Claudia, a pebble flies in through the window and hits him in the back of the head. Georgie grunts and rubs his head. Georgie Claudia looks at him, puzzled, huh, he says, still rubbing his head, nothing, Claudia turns back to her test, another pebble hits Georgie in the head, as Georgie turns toward the window to see where the pebbles have been coming from, a large rock speeds through and hits him in the eye, his glasses shatter, with a cry of shock and pain, Georgie tumbles from his chair and grabs his face, fuck, 
Ow, he howls. Heidi hurries to the window and sees Oza and Wyman running away. Oza, Wyman, she shouts. Stop right there. The boys halt and look back at her, their faces as ignorant as frogs. What Oza asks quizzically. You know damn well what Heidi hollers. She climbs swiftly out the window and charges toward the boys. Meanwhile, Georgie doubles up on the floor, groaning and holding his eye. Claudia comes over to him and crouches down. Are you okay? She asks, trying to pry his hand from his face. Let me see it. Georgie resists her. No, he mumbles. They can be such assholes. Georgie, let me see it. Finally, Claudia pulls Georgie's hand off and reveals his injury. His eye has turned an angry red and is quickly swelling shut. Distraught, Claudia strokes Georgie's back and the side of his face, murmuring. Georgie puts his hand over his eye again. They don't even know you. They don't even fucking know you. Not like I do, Claudia says soothingly. Georgie shoves her away and gets back on his feet. I'm an open book, Claudia, he says loudly, not caring about the other students who stare at him warily. I told you that. I'm an open fucking book. Georgie picks up his books and begins hurling them around the room. The other students duck beneath their desks. He grabs books off their desks and throws those as well. The pages flap wildly as the bindings boom and crack against the hard walls. An open book. An open fucking book. I told you, he screams. He tosses his desk and then grabs pencils, notebooks, anything within his grasp. He throws everything, screaming incoherently at his fellow students. Many of them break away from their desks and run for the door. He kicks a chair across the room. You wanna get hurt? You wanna get fucking killed? He pants heavily as the others run from the room. Claudia stares in awe, knowing better than to speak to him but still unable to leave. Then leave me alone. Everyone just leave me the fuck alone Georgie screeches and leaps out the window. Out on the lawn, Heidi has Oza and Wyman by the arms and is leading them towards the dean's office. They watch as Georgie runs from the academic building. Big baby Oza sneers. Christ, you hit him with a rock Wyman exclaims. Heidi casts a worried look toward Georgie, who runs wildly to the dorms, holding his face. Shut up and keep moving, she growls. Both of you, when Oza and Wyman leave the dean's office, Oza looks cocky. He finds Claudia waiting for him outside. Hey, he smirks. I hope you're proud of yourself. I really hope you are, Claudia says coldly. Before he can answer, she turns and walks away. They suspended me Oza yells at her. Wyman, too. We can't even play in the Niles game. Oza looks at Wyman and spreads his arms, as if to say, What did I do? Wyman looks very much as though he'd like to punch his friend in the face. Meanwhile, in a drunken rage, Georgie destroys his room. Blind without his eyeglasses, he kicks the trash can and throws the ashtray and lamp, tosses his books and clothes onto the floor. He rips the drawers out of his chest and hurls them across the room. There's a loud knocking at the door, but he ignores it. He smashes his radio against the wall. He rips the sheets off his bed and tears them apart. When everything else is gone, he beats his fists helplessly against the wall. When the room's a wasteland, Georgie stands there, breathing heavily, sweating. He still ignores the pounding and shouting at his door. He looks around, trying to figure out what to destroy next. 
he digs a carton of cigarettes out of the mess, he empties a pack onto whatever's left of his bed, it's either now or never, he mutters, slowly, carefully, he begins shredding the cigarettes, watching the bits of tobacco sprinkle onto the floor, more negative thoughts I just can't afford right now, he raps, later that evening, Georgie comes across Claudia as she pokes around aimlessly on Main Street, looking in shop windows, he approaches her cautiously, his eyes still a mess, he still doesn't have his glasses, at least ten band-aids are taped to his hands, hiding cuts and scrapes he made in his rage, hi, he says quietly, Claudia turns away, Georgie catches up to her, he walks erratically, stretching his groin every other step pushing his neck out awkwardly in front of him, I'm sorry, he says, she keeps walking, he follows, I mean it, I'm sorry, she turns on him, you're sorry she accuses, you're sorry Claudia great, good for you she rages, what do you want me to do, feel sorry for you um, forgive me Georgie suggests, for what, Georgie looks at her in silence, afraid of the wrong answer, for yelling in class, he says finally, for scaring you she looks at him with disdain, you don't get it, do you Claudia snarls, you didn't scare me, and I don't care that you yelled, what gets me, Georgie, is that you treated me like everyone else, you turned me into someone no different than Oza, so you hate me now he pleads, she stops, looks Georgie in the eye, and then walks off down the street, Georgie watches her walk away, struggling with himself not to follow, then he turns and heads back towards the school. When darkness falls, Georgie puts his room back together again. He's taken his glasses to a shop and had them repaired. They are stuck back on his face. Georgie paces back and forth, sweating. He rips off his shirt. He tries to find something to do with his hands. But he can't find anything that satisfies him. Finally, Georgie just lies in bed, staring at the ceiling. He can't sleep. After an hour, he rises and makes a small pot of coffee. The machine funnels the last few drops of fresh brew and Georgie carries a cupful to his desk. The ashtray's gone, lost somewhere in a dim corner of his closet. A ream of fresh papers is stacked neatly in his printer. Parenthetical pet peeve, photocopiers and printers that jam. Georgie sits at the desk in front of his computer. He opens a writing program and begins to type. From the inside, Chapter 1. He deletes from the inside and rewrites the title to read, A Part of Me, then, below it, by Georgie Gust, he thinks again, and then begins to write, things really can't be as bad as they seem, the worst parts are exaggerated in the mind, he stops writing, and then takes a long sigh, he erases what he's written, he shuts his eyes, thinks, he deletes everything and starts again on an empty screen, Dear Diary, my main mantra in life is definitely, don't lose hope, no matter what, something positive. A few weeks later, Georgie and Heidi have lunch together at the cemetery. Georgie seems even more restless and on edge than usual. Heidi studies him as he twitches and exhales, parenthetical pet peeve, mystery meet in the school cafeteria. You look different, Georgie, she says, musingly. She thinks a minute, and then snaps her fingers. No cigarette she declares proudly, I gave them up, and I gave up drinking, too, Georgie says fiercely, good for you, Georgie, I'm proud of you, Heidi smiles, it's tough, though, 
I want to tear down a wall with my bare hands, sometimes, but I fight the urge, you need something to take their place, something to keep your mind occupied, something positive, like what Heidi shrugs, I know you, you'll think of something, have you talked to Claudia lately I don't see much of her since I went crazy in class, you know, that day, anyway, she's Oza's girlfriend, Georgie snorts quietly, and looks thoughtful, later that night, he sits at his desk in front of his computer, all the lights on campus are out, except his, his shadow is hard at work, dear diary, it's so hard but how simple it could just could be to acknowledge that all the worry in the world could not control the future, to see that I can only be happy right now, and that there will never be a time when it is not now the big game that weekend, a limousine pulls up in front of the school, the chauffeur unfolds himself from the driver's seat and opens the back door, Oza gets out, he's holding a small duffel bag, his suspension is over, although he still can't play in the upcoming game, Wyman and Susan stand to greet him when he steps to the curb, Claudia looks on from the entrance to the dorms, then she turns and walks inside, that afternoon, at the highly anticipated Wakefield vs Niles lacrosse game, the usual hangers on cheer riotously in the stands, parents, girlfriends, and faculty clap and hoot as the home teams take the field, a number of students from both schools have come to watch, Oza and Wyman stand on the sidelines, dressed in street clothes, watching a pep squad of six chanting and waving blue and gold pom-poms in the breeze, the game is a brutal affair and, though Wakefield fights tooth and nail, their offense is no match for Niles' defense, time and time again, Wakefield fans moan as their boys are sent flying off the rebound of powerful screens and tackles, with each dissatisfied grumble from the crowd, Oza's shoulders hike up closer to his ears, at long last, the final gun fires, the scoreboard reads, Wakefield 10, visitor 13, the Niles fans cheer and rush onto the field, while dejected Wakefield players shake hands with the winners, and then walk to the sidelines. Oza purses his lips and Wyman's head is hung as their teammates pass them by. Way to go, you guys, one of them sneers. Yeah, thanks a lot, another says disdainfully. The rest of the players file past in silence. A Niles player smiles at Oza as he marches off the field. Great game, bros he mocks. Oza grits his teeth. That little prick he growls. Wyman looks back and shakes his head. Just let it go. Will you Georgie, of course, is utterly oblivious to the tragedy that has befallen his school's honor, rather, he types steadily through the weekend, resting only to rub his eyes and sip at a cup of coffee, dear diary, life is way too short to waste my time trying to convince other people that I'm worthy to be loved, I think if there is a God, he made us all unique, glorious individuals, and if someone refuses to see how special I'm, then I should refuse to even give them time out of my day, I should stop wasting my own precious time on the people who don't love me, and focus the spending of my time on the people who do love me, also, that I'm sure to make time to focus on loving my own self, no matter what, since doing so will likely make it very easy for a very deserving person to love me as well, I've got to always remember that I'm always loved, hell, I might not even realize it most of the time a slight change of plans weeks pass, the snowy winter blows itself off and begins to melt into spring, 
Georgie smiles as he checks off a Friday on his calendar, which indicates the month to be April. Saturday's box says, no detention, meaning there's a free weekend ahead. He rubs his eyes. Later that day, Georgie and Heidi have lunch under the shade of an oak tree near the river. Heidi looks preoccupied. She's not really eating. Still off the liquor and cigarettes she prompts. Yes, Georgie nods. I've found something to replace them. Heidi raises her brows in silence. My entry for the Winterborn, Georgie explains. On bad faith? The one you were talking about last semester she asks hopefully. Kind of. Georgie looks at her from the corner of his eye, his chin jerking upward. Heidi smiles. Kind of? How mysterious. Georgie blinks rapidly. Not really. I'll let you see it when I finish. If you want, Heidi swats him playfully on the head. Of course I want. How's it coming? A lot of it's finished already. It's hard work, but it's fun. He pauses a moment to look up at her again. It's really pretty rewarding. All on its own, Heidi beams, looking for the entire world like a proud mother. I can't wait to read it. I hope I'll get an autographed copy she winks. Hand delivered, Georgie assures her solemnly. There's a slight pause and Georgie notices her preoccupied expression. What? What are you thinking? He asks nervously. That might not be possible, she says slowly. Why? What do you mean I'm afraid this may be our last lunch together? Dude, what are you talking about? Georgie demands. The school is reconsidering my tenure. Georgie's jaw drops. The way that you and Claudia outperform everyone else has made people think I'm favoring the two of you. That's ridiculous, Georgie says, near yelling. Of course it is, but it's their school, and, who knows, maybe I have been too hard on the students, Heidi shrugs trying out the idea. That's bullshit. You're the best teacher here, thank you, Georgie. She smiles at him. I appreciate that more than you know. Is there anything I can do just your best? Enter the Winterborn. She squeezes his arm, and when it, when Georgie returns to his room that afternoon, he inserts his key in the door. It seems to have already been unlocked. That's weird, he mumbles. He enters the room, stops, and stares. He drops his books. His computer has been knocked over. The monitor kicked in. Jim a fucking break he snarls. Standing there, staring at the wreck, an inarticulate howl of rage rises in his throat. His first reaction is to lash out. He looks around wildly for something to throw. He can't find anything. Georgie starts methodically to smash his fist into the wall and then stops. He stumbles helplessly around the room, holding his head which throbs with pain. Tears and sweat drip from his face. He paces and walks in circles. Turn it around. Turn it around. Just turn the whole negative thought around. He drops to his knees at the side of the bed, hands together. He starts to pray. God, I'm in need of a blessing, right now. He says firmly. Georgie's twitching has almost stopped. He closes his eyes, and then takes a deep breath. Peace seems to come over his features. Georgie stands and begins cleaning the room. After putting everything back in its place, Georgie gets a fresh cup of coffee. He removes a wad of chewing gum from his mouth and aims, not at the trash can near the door to his room, but at the lithograph print of Edward Munch's The Scream. Har, you must be the artist himself, he accuses the man in the foreground. Not screaming, huh, but protecting yourself. From the scream of nature, 
he throws his gum and hits the artist himself right in his gaping mouth. That, my friend, is a reflex, a reaction typical of anyone struggling to keep out distressing noise, whether actual or imagined. So there, take that he smirks at the poster, nice throw, he congratulates himself. Georgie sits back down at his desk, in front of his sadly abused computer. Okay, he says, looking at the dented monitor with only the slightest hint of distress. He opens up the precious file, relieved to see that all 200 pages are still intact. He ponders the title for a moment, and then reformats it. A part of me he stares at it and shakes his head. Apart from me by Georgie Gust he scrolls down to the last page and waits for inspiration, but it doesn't seem to come. He creates a blank page and types, get out of my head. Scrolling back, he deletes the last three words, until the page reads only, get out, and nothing else. He prints the page. Georgie rolls his eyes and stretches his fingers. He lifts his hands to his pounding head. H.M. Those must be what they call intrusive thoughts. You're so welcome, strangers. I'm Georgie Gust, and I have Tourette's. Or maybe Tourette has me. That's not the word of God. They're just thoughts. Just let them roll by. They hate me. So fuck me. Then. Okay. Okay. I fucking love, love, love this shite. I really do. Georgie breathes heavily, a growl of rage starting to build. He looks over at the door. Stifling a false sense of calm, he grabs the page from the printer and tacks it to the gum on the munched print. Get out, it screams at him. And Georgie does, slamming the door behind him. Dear diary, today, only I have the choice to be happy or unhappy. Nothing external. No past, nor future. I'm the choosing happiness today jump Georgie's hunched up over his knees at the bluff, looking out to sea, ever so slightly sobbing. Light footsteps trade behind him. A shadow falls over his small body. He looks up. It's Heidi. Please, leave me alone, he mumbles. Are you all right please? I'd really like to just be alone. That's not going to happen, Georgie. She sits beside him. You can run all you want, but you can't run from yourself. Georgie looks at her. Don't you get it everybody's got issues? You haven't the faintest clue? About the Tourette's about anything. About everything, yes, and the Tourette's. You only see what's on the outside, he twitches. What you don't see, what you can't know, is what goes on inside. He starts crying again. Heidi puts her arm around him. I'm scared. I don't know where to begin, he sobs. Heidi wipes a tear from his eye. I'm everything I don't want to be. He pauses. Shite, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Maybe it's not even Tourette's, maybe it's me. Heidi waits a moment and then opens her mouth to speak. Georgie rushes on. It all makes me so Heidi grabs him by the shoulders. Welcome to the world, Georgie. You're human. Finish with it no. Stop it. I can't yes. It's true. You're human. You're one of us. She shakes him gently. Deal with it. Accept it. All of it. Never. Nobody can he yells. He jumps up and runs to the edge of the bluff. He poises himself to leap from the edge. He looks back. Heidi hasn't moved. Aren't you gonna stop me let me know how it goes? She says coldly. He stares, disbelieving. Go ahead, if that's what you want. She gestures for him to continue. Georgie hesitates, teetering on the edge of the bluff. 
I'm tired of feeling sorry for you, Georgie. I'm tired of hearing you feeling sorry for yourself, he rounds on her. I don't feel sorry for myself. I hate myself well, okay, then, whatever you want to call it, haven't you been listening to me? I can't take it anymore. Don't hide your problem, she commands him. Flaunt it. Laugh at it. You can't be beaten by something you laugh at. You don't understand. I do understand, she insists, her eyes blazing. That's what you can't accept. Yes, I can. I welcome it. Do you? Georgie looks out longingly over the sea. If I tell you that I do understand, and you believe it, then what happens to all these lies you've been telling yourself? All these years Heidi insists. He turns again, takes a step toward her. What lies how no one will ever understand you, except you. She pauses. Love you, she continues quietly. What happens then? Georgie here has nothing to say. Heidi points to the tree where Georgie has carved the word rebel. A significant life leaves its mark, she says. What happens when you start living that significant life, Georgie? When you start admitting that people do understand, what happens then Georgie watches her, his chest heaving with strain, with tears of frustration and clenched teeth, every nerve in his body misfires, Heidi walks away, when Heidi begins class that afternoon, several students, including Claudia, have their heads down, Heidi goes to the blackboard, and writes, Friedrich Nietzsche, 1844-1900, she turns back to the class, who can tell me a little about Nietzsche, what was his contribution to philosophy Hendrik snorts, he said God is dead, Claudia looks up, shocked at his initiative, Hendrik shrugs, is that what you mean why yes, she stammers, and what are the implications of Nietzsche's statement pause, finally, Claudia raises her hand, yes, Claudia, how can God be dead if he's eternal Claudia asks, Georgie raises his hand, Heidi points at him, Georgie that's the point, Nietzsche wasn't arguing God had died, exactly, he was arguing that God never existed in the first place, then what about heaven Claudia asks, a couple of students laugh, there is none, Georgie says lightly, there is so Claudia frowns, Heidi interrupted, what Georgie is getting at, Claudia, is what Nietzsche argued, that there's no heaven yes, Heidi nods, but what about all the people already up there Claudia insists, most of the students laugh, some uncomfortably, dear diary, I keep telling myself to always be myself, because the people that matter don't mind, and the people that mind don't matter, so, there it is peacemaking that night, Georgie sits in his room, writing, my parents did their best trying to raise a kid like me, I'm a weirdo, a freak, I'm a real challenge, so I can't blame them if they didn't always succeed, if things didn't always work out right, there's a knock on the door, Georgie opens it, Claudia stands in the hall, he stares silently at her, can I come in Claudia says, shifting uneasily, please, Georgie opens the door wider, she enters the room and notices he's been working at the computer, Oh, you're busy, I'm sorry, she says, she turns to leave, Georgie tugs her back, no, it's fine, come here, you're writing she peers at the monitor, what is it my memoirs, sort of, Georgie shrugs, jibber jabber, trying to sort things out in writing, for the winterborn, that's great, I'm tying it into what Heidi told us about bad faith, 
Remember Claudia glances down at her shoes, about lying to ourselves she asks quietly, Georgie nods, yeah, Heidi thinks I could win, that's great, Claudia says sadly, it would pay for college, you know, all for years, I know, he stares at her, it's my dream, that and becoming a rich, famous writer, Claudia teases, she stands on tiptoe, kisses him, and heads towards the door, wait, what's up? What do you want nothing important? It was my dad's birthday today, I wanted to tell you, Georgie grins, halfway to hell, he says, Claudia smiles back, you remember it, Georgie nods, that was it, though, to tell you about my dad, to say hello, goodbye, nothing important, she blows him a kiss, bye, Georgie, Claudia closes the door quietly behind her, Georgie turns to his writing, smiling slightly still. Georgie continues to work at the computer late into the evening. At one point, he stops and looks around as if he hears something distant, water crashing against rocks. He frowns. Then he returns to writing. Dear diary, I don't think I'm crazy. However, I do think I'm creatively insane. A twisted tree the next morning, Georgie walks across campus to class. Students are gathered around the entrance to the academic building, talking excitedly. Susan catches his eye and, for once, she actually looks happy to see him. She rushes up. Have you seen Claudia? She's gone, Susan pleads. Gone Georgie echoes. Gone, Susan repeats, irritated. We can't find her. Can't find her what are you? Deaf, I said Claudia's gone. As in, nobody knows where she is. Have you seen her? Georgie feels a faint dawn of understanding. He shudders. Last night I did. What time Susan presses? Eight. Nine. I don't remember. Susan rolls her eyes in frustration and walks on. Shite. What kind of help is that she mutters? Georgie thinks. Then he turns to Susan, who's hurrying away from him. Did anyone check the bluff he calls? Susan keeps walking. She doesn't appear to hear him. Georgie turns around and strides quickly to the woods. He hurries up the path glancing all around for Claudia, desperately hoping to find her. When he reaches the bluff, it's completely deserted. Claudia he yells. All he hears is his own echo. He searches every inch of the bluff, calling. On the ground at his feet, he finds the freak coin and starts to get frantic. Claudia his voice squeaks. He looks to the edge of the bluff, sees the waves rolling out to sea. Finally, he makes himself go to the edge of the bluff and forces himself to look down. He sees, nothing. Georgie sinks to the ground, relieved, laughing at himself for worrying, sighing with relief. He stretches out flat on his back and cradles his hands under his head, still laughing. That's when he sees, Claudia. Her crooked, bent body hangs in the bough of the tree, caught in broken branches. Georgie screams, Dear Diary, Regarding some inspiring life notes and goals to myself while I'm in the zone again today. Boom. Take chances. Tell the truth. Say no. Get to know a random stranger. Tell someone I love him or her. Sing at the top of my lungs. Cry. Apologize. Tell someone what I really think. Marry the wrong person. Get divorced. Mess up. Make mistakes. Be grateful. Win. Lose and regret nothing at fucking all how the shite hits the fan paramedics, rescue personnel, Dean Winterbourne, and Heidi stand on the bluff with Georgie, 
Heidi has her arm around Georgie, his face is white and his body shakes regularly with shock. Together they watch the paramedics and rescue personnel remove Claudia's body from the tree. Georgie buries his head in Heidi's armpit. Dean Winterborn sees, he shakes his head at Heidi, but she only pulls Georgie closer. Later that night, Georgie, agitated, sits in front of his computer. He writes furiously, and then deletes everything he's written. He drums his fingers on the desktop, writes again in a flurry of fingers, and then leaps to his feet. In one fell swoop, he knocks the computer and monitor to the ground. Surprisingly, they land upright and intact. Georgie throws himself on the bed. He balls his hands into fists and starts tugging at his hair. Fuck, fuck you, fuck me, fuck Claudia, fuck fuck fuck. He grits through clenched teeth. He gets to his feet, pulls on a sweatshirt, and storms out of his room. He walks straight to the pen, hands in his pockets and face in the shadows. When he enters, Georgie stops first at the cigarette machine. He buys a pack and then sits down at the bar. Ozer is already there, sitting in the back. He notices Georgie arrive, watches his every motion. The bartender, a glass of bourbon in his hand, walks over to Georgie and sets the glass down in front of him. Good to see you, my man, he says cheerfully. Georgie nods, not making eye contact. The bartender wonders off as Georgie raises the glass to his lips. A very drunk Ozer approaches, wraps his arm around Georgie's shoulder, and starts to cry. Shite, twitch, I can't fucking believe it, he moans. What a waste, what a fucking goddamn waste. Georgie says nothing. The glass is poised at his lips, the unopened pack of cigarettes sits on the bar. I loved her, I fucking loved that chick, her name was Claudia. Georgie says evenly, I know, man, I loved her, Georgie puts his drink down, you didn't love her, I did, you didn't even like her, Georgie accuses, you cheated on her with Susan, I heard you, Oza, that day in the library, I heard you, Oza mutters incoherently to himself, Georgie pushes his drink away, gets off the stool, and heads towards the door, Oza's voice stops him, Georgie, Georgie turns. For what it's worth, man, I am sorry, for Claudia, for your journal, your room, for fucking all of it, Georgie leaves. When Georgie returns to his dorm room, Heidi is waiting for him in the hall. His door isn't completely closed. Heidi smiles sadly at him. Georgie walks past her without speaking and enters his room. Heidi follows. Georgie looks around the room and then flops to his bed, pulling out the pack of cigarettes. Can I come in Heidi asks, Georgie's face is stone, you already are, she takes another step forward, and then stops, I came to see how you're doing, Georgie shrugs, but you weren't here, so I waited, how are you doing, Georgie Georgie opens the pack of cigarettes, pulls one out, you want to talk about it I'm through tea talking, he pats his pockets and looks on the night table, searching for a match, he gets off the bed, pulls open his desk drawers, and starts to dump everything on the floor. Heidi reaches into her own pocket and tosses him a lighter. Georgie looks surprised. Will that make you feel better undoing everything you've already done? Georgie lights the cigarette, but he doesn't inhale. I went to the pen, he says at last. Heidi waits. But I didn't drink. He inhales and coughs slightly. So I'm not undoing everything, 
just some things Georgie holds the lit cigarette still in his hand. How about the winter war and she indicates the computer and monitor on the floor. Are you undoing that Georgie shrugs. He says nothing. I wish there was something I could say, Georgie, that would make all of this somehow better. But there's nothing. I can't even tell you that you'll get over it, because you won't. I never got over my sister's death. But you go on, Georgie. That's the thing. You keep on living, and you can't afford to lose everything you've worked so hard for. I don't want to go on, Georgie's face scrunches up painfully, like a child's. I understand that, I loved her, he sobs. I know, Georgie cries unabashedly before his teacher. I really did. She was the first girl I ever knew who didn't fucking judge me, who didn't keep looking at me like I was some sort of freak. She just let me be me. You know I know, and now she's just she's gone. Georgie can't speak now for the sobs that have overtaken him. Heidi goes to him and wraps her arms around his shoulders. She takes the cigarette from his hand and puts it out on the desk. When Georgie's tears finally still, he stands. Georgie picks up the computer and monitor and sets them on the desk. Every time I sit down to write, I freeze, he explains. I look at the screen, and all I can see is her. All I see is Claudia. No matter what I do, I can't get her out of my head. It's so bad, I'm thinking of leaving, leaving Wakefield Georgie nods. The reason I came here was so I could write and maybe win the winter born and go to college. Now I don't even know if I want to go to college. I mean, a lot of writers don't even go to college, true, but a lot of writers do go to college. You feel like it's your fault, that you should have somehow known Georgie nods. It's not, and you couldn't have, Heidi says. Georgie smiles, but cautiously. He's not reassured. She wasn't well, Georgie, but she trusted me. I should have seen it coming. I should have stopped her. You couldn't have. Heidi pauses. Did you know she left you a letter? Georgie looks at her blankly. Heidi rummages through her purse and brings out an envelope. They found it on her body. I told her mother that I knew you and that I'd give it to you. She hands the envelope to Georgie, who opens it pulls out a single piece of paper, and starts to read, Georgie, if you're reading this, then I did it, I finally did it, finally found the courage Georgie looks at Heidi, the courage Heidi nods the courage to stop living the charade, stop pretending to be what I'm not, happy, Georgie, I've been trying to get myself out of here since I was 12, ever since my dad died, so be happy for me, okay, I'll see you, later on the other side, and remember, dying is an art, I do it exceptionally well, Georgie glances again at Heidi, she quoted Plath Heidi nods, why she wasn't well, Georgie, but quoting Plath, like she was writing a term paper or something you couldn't have done anything, she needed help, Georgie, more help than you could have given her, Georgie gets to his feet, he slides the paper back to Heidi, you don't want this Heidi asks, I can't remember her that way, Heidi nods, and then leaves, Georgie turns back to his laptop, soon, the shouts and laughter of students below his window drift up to his room, he doesn't notice, he types steadily, without deleting a thing, at 10pm he goes to bed, sleeps for exactly 8 hours, and then wakes up in the morning and immediately begins typing once more, dear diary, sadly enough, 
The most painful goodbyes are the ones that are left unsaid and never explained the other ending and then there comes a bright, spring day, when all the parents, students, and faculty mill about campus, waiting for the final ceremony. Banners hang from trees, congratulations, best wishes. After everyone is seated, Dean Winterborn stands at the podium. The Winterborn Memorial Scholarship is one of the most prestigious awards Wakefield Academy has to bestow. He begins. Previous recipients include students who have achieved greatness in politics, literature, and film, and this year's recipient, I'm sure, will distinguish himself in whatever field he chooses to pursue. He has displayed brilliance through adversity, and triumphed over obstacles that few of us can imagine. And so, without further ado, I give you this year's winner of the Winterborn Memorial Scholarship George Gust, applause. Georgie hops, skips, and jumps up to the stage. He takes his award and mumbles something into Dean Winterborn's ear. The Dean nods his assent, and Georgie takes his place at the podium. This has been a year unlike any other for me, Georgie says nervously. It's been a very good year. This year I learned as much from life as I did from class, and I'm proud to accept this scholarship. However, Without the presence of Claudia Nesbitt in my life he pauses as murmurs from the audience interrupt him. I don't think I'd be standing up here today to accept this award if it wasn't for her. So I just want to say, thank you, Claudia. Thank you for teaching me about life, about writing, and about myself. He holds the placard above his head. This is for you, Claudia. Then he grimaces intentionally. And, this, too. He wraps his arm over his head and pulls his ear. The audience responds with appreciative laughter. And this, he ticks again. The audience claps. And this, Georgie hop, 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 skip, skips across stage. The audience explodes in thunderous applause. Later, outside, students, parents, and faculty members mill about, chatting, taking pictures, and sipping punch from paper cups. Georgie stands near the water fountain, apart from everyone, clutching his diploma. Pops and Rose approach and wrap their arms around Georgie. He hugs them. That was quite an acceptance speech. Pops says, I was so proud. Rose cried. She hesitates a moment. We were so proud. Georgie's parents beam. They turn around to pour themselves a glass of punch and pour one for Georgie, too, across the commons. Oza looks on with a half-smile. Georgie notices and lifts his hand in a half-wave. Heidi approaches him slowly across the lawn. Georgie looks up. Congratulations, she shakes his hand warmly. Georgie smiles. Thanks. What about you? Are you coming back next year? Heidi shakes her head. No, she says. They let you go. Heidi smiles. Let's call it a mutually agreed-upon parting of ways. They fired you Heidi pats Georgie's arm. No, Georgie, they didn't fire me. Really? It was time for me to go. That's so unfair. Georgie scowls. You're such a good teacher. He pauses. A wonderful teacher. Heidi squeezes his shoulder. Pops and Rose offer Georgie his punch and put their arms around him again as Heidi smiles, her eyes glistening with tears. Georgie hugs his parents, watching Heidi all the while. Heidi smiles more brightly, and then cocks her head quizzically. Heidi, I'd like to introduce my mom and dad, Georgie says politely. Dear diary, the opposite of life, 
love, faith, hope, and art is plain and simple, indifference, long live my fucking art, I'm not indifferent when it comes to my art, the story continues.